Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We continue our study through the pastoral epistles. Uh, uh, Paul to Timothy. This is a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy his, uh, uh, in his second epistle, one-on-one. It's very important to remember that, one-on-one. Senior Pastor Paul to Junior Pastor Timothy. And these are two men, not the run-of-the-mill pastor. They are not like the average bear. These are full-package pastors. Uh, and when we get to 2 Timothy chapter 2, let's start in verse 1. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I love this so much because, you know, they're not. there's no biological relationship between Paul and Timothy. It's entirely spiritual. And you see Paul as his spiritual father, and at the same time, Timothy as his spiritual son. Remember, Paul is the one who says, there is no one as like-minded as Timothy who sincerely cares for your soul. And I love that. It's so beautiful to see that. You know, we see the, the larger bubble of exhortation to the saints. But then you boil things down and you see a smaller bubble ministry leaders in Paul's circle of influence and how he was pouring into ministry leaders. But then you look even closer and you see an even smaller bubble. And who do you see? You see Paul, you see Timothy, you see Titus, a very small group of pastors, the next generation of leadership for the saints, leadership for the church. Now, remember that in Christ Jesus, you and me, as we abide in Christ, as we choose to abide in Christ, there is an abundance of riches, grace being one of many. But do you remember our study in 2 Corinthians in chapter 12, how Paul makes mention that there was a messenger of Satan who buffeted him? And Paul pleaded with the Lord that it might depart from him. Paul pleaded three times, he says, he pleaded with the Lord, with the Lord that, uh, uh, you know, take, take this, you know, this thorn in my side, take it from me three times. And the Lord responded to him. He said, my grace is sufficient. That's the Lord to, to Paul who was praying and three times pleading with the Lord, Lord, take this from me. And the Lord says, no, I'm not going to take it from you. I mean, when you think of Paul praying to the Lord, you know, it's like, boom, you know, like, Paul, what do you need? And Paul says this and like, boom, you got it. And Paul pleading with the Lord three times and the Lord says, no. And the Lord says, my grace, Paul, my grace is sufficient And he says to Paul, he says, in your weakness, your weakness, Paul, in your weakness, my strength, it's made perfect. And when we remember Paul's letter to the churches and what he says to the saints, it puts verse 1 here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 in a beautiful perspective as Paul pours into Timothy. I mean, in the, in the epistles, writing to churches, he's pouring into the church, pouring into the saints, the believers inside the church, exhortation to the believers inside the church. But this is more personal. This is pouring into 
an individual believer who has responsibilities of shepherding, who has overseeing responsibilities, as called by the Lord. And Paul pouring into Timothy in verse 1 says, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then we reflect back on what Paul says about his weakness and how he says, how he pleaded with the Lord three times. And the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you because in your weakness, it's my strength, Paul, that it's my strength is made perfect in you. And then when you continue reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, for when I am weak, I am strong. You see, Paul gives uh, like a, the formula for strength. It's not our strength. Now, we look at the Old Testament. If you've been walking with us for a while or you listen to our, our Wednesday studies through the Old Testament, you know, that's observe Israel according to the flesh. There is an element of uh, 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 you know, when we look at uh, according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. See, we have to understand leaning on the Lord, which is beautiful, but even leaning on the Lord and leaning on his promises, there is a specific formula for that. The effectuation of promise upon promise upon promise upon promise upon promise upon promise upon promise. The effectuation of those things. And it's through faith, yes. But it is also through obedience unto the Lord. Remember the demons with the sons of Siva? When the demon says, they say, Jesus I know, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who in the world are you guys? Because in Paul you see the effectuation of Promise upon promise upon promise upon promise, but not just that. You also see the power of the Lord. Not Paul's power. The power of the Lord using his vessel, Paul. You see? And if you hear our study, if you've been walking with us for a while and you hear our study in the book of Acts, you see how the Lord was doing powerful things through Paul, unusual things through Paul. And Paul gives this formula that, you know, for when I am weak, I am strong. But what did the Lord tell him? That my grace is sufficient. And in your weakness, it's my strength, Paul, that is made perfect in you. Reassurance unto Paul. You see, and this reassurance that the Lord gave to Paul, all of a sudden, he's pouring into Timothy, giving him the same reassurance. Not, you know, Timothy, go to the gym, work out, so you have these big muscles, you know, and, you know, be strong like that and be a pastor. No. He says in verse 1 here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace. In the grace. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's powerful. That's very powerful. And then we continue here in verse 2. And the things that you have heard 
from me among many witnesses commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also now remember 14 years 14 years in a very special bubble timothy was with paul a very intimate small bubble not a big bubble the big bubble's the church the 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 smaller bubble are ministry leaders but then the tiny bubble very very small bubble not a lot of people Timothy's there. Titus is there. Not a lot of people. And 14 years in a very, very special bubble. And then you have Timothy on his own in 1 Timothy. And then four years later, you have 2 Timothy. Now it's Timothy's turn to shepherd. As the next generation of leadership. And the doctrine... Just like he says in verse 2, that you have heard from me. Now, it's not a prideful thing. You know, it's not like Paul saying, oh, you know, it's my way or the highway. It's not Paul in a prideful, arrogant, elitist mentality saying, hey, look, Timothy, it's my way or the highway. It's not that at all. That is pride. Do you remember when Paul says to the saints in Corinth, you have 10,000 teachers but one spiritual father? We put that in perspective, take 10,001 that, you know, if we were in Corinth, 10,001 that we can submit ourselves to. If you and me, we, go, we, we get in my time machine, we get in my time machine, you and me, I know you have aunts, uncles, grandpappies, grandmas, uncles, uh, uh, you know, parents, moms, dads, grandmas, kids, parents, you know, everybody, I know you have, I know you have that biological, spiritual, I know you have that, but let's boil it down. Let's be more intimate. It's just you and me. And we get in my time machine, we go back in time, and we're in Corinth, straight up Corinth. Where do we go to church? We love the Lord. We fear the Lord. We're Bereans. And there we are in the city of Corinth. Where do we go for church? Who is it? Who is the man that you and me, that we're going to submit ourselves to? Who is it? Where can we find such a person? We're in Corinth. And when I say submit ourselves to, it's not like we're going to be robots. I mean godly submission. Unto a godly man. And we follow his instruction. And he helps us grow in Christ. He helps us grow in maturity in Christ. We learn about spiritual gifts. We learn how to fight. We learn how to be equipped. We become equipped. We train. We roll around on the mat. We fight. We learn hand-to-hand combat, spiritually speaking. I'm not speaking carnally. I'm speaking spiritually. Who is it? Where if we submit to such a man... Male. Coverings always male. Then paradise awaits. Who is it? There's 10,000 teachers. Remember, you and me, we get in our time machine. And there we are in Corinth. And then we start church hopping. 
Now, church hopping is, you know, seen as a bad thing. But, you know, I say this in a good way. Like, you know, we're trying to find out where is it that we're going to go? And sadly, there's nowhere. Where do we go? Where do we go? I mean, if we were female, you know, hey, let's go to Chloe's house. But if we're male, like, you know, where do we go? I say if we're male, I mean, like, I'm male, but I say if we're male, like, if you're, like, you know, if you're female listening, you know, I say if we're male, you know, but if you're male listening, you know, where do we go? If we're female, both, both of us, if we're both female, you know, like, hey, let's go to Chloe's house. There's a nice, beautiful fellowship over there. But if we're male, where do we go? Now you, now that we're in second, second Timothy chapter two and we understand formula, you're, if you're male, you're like, well, why don't we go to Chloe's house? Well, it's, it wouldn't be proper because we would be learning from female. A female would be teaching us. A female would be the spiritual covering, covering over us. And that's not the formula. That's not the formula. You see women pastors today, they are disobedient to the Lord. I don't care what they say. I mean, you know, of course, doctrine is important, but you know, that's kind of a simple, that's a simple one. You see female pastors, no, it doesn't work that way. If you're female, I love you. But there are caps on the extent of your teaching ministry, teaching women, teaching children. You know, we see, don't, for, don't forget that it was Priscilla and Aquila, and they taught a, 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 a ministry leader, Apollos. You say, well, you know, Priscilla did it. Well, don't forget she had a covering. It was her husband. You see? Now, if you're female, it's like, oh, man, that's such a bummer. I can't be a pastor. Well, don't look at it that way. Listen to our study, the introduction to the pastoral epistles, and you'll understand. There's a specific formula. And yes, there are caps on, you know, teaching ministry for females. But then don't forget the kids. Pouring into the next generation of righteousness. The next generation of leadership. Like Hannah. Like Proverbs 31. A beautiful, beautiful woman. I don't say this at, like in a perverted way. But you know, you read Proverbs 31. And that's like that. That with the attributes of that woman. That is like knockout. And I don't say that like, you know, like, you know, like. What's this guy talking about? I mean, like, knockout, like, you know, she's got the goods. And it's so beautiful. Sometimes women, you know, it's like, wow, I can't be a pastor. You and me, we submit ourselves to the word of God. You see? And that's what his word says. And then females get bummed out. Oh, man, I can't do this. And then sometimes females, they just, you know, uh, kind of like, you know, buck the system and they're like, well, I'm going to be a pastor anyway. That was, that was for, that was for 2000 years ago. That's not for today. That was for another dispensation. So I'm going to go ahead and be a pastor. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, like then you get into pride. Then you get into Jezebel spirit. You see little footholds that Satan can exploit. So if you're female, I don't say this in a, in a negative connotation. It's actually quite lovely. Very specific formula. And sometimes men are like, okay, women, you know, step aside. We got this. 
But I look at, you know, male pastors today, and I'm not impressed. Not to say that, you know, like, I have to be impressed, but when you study the formula, I mean, if, if you've been walking with us for a while, not too long, but if you've been walking with us and you've been tracking through not just the pastoral epistles, but you reflect back on the reason why Corinth was Corinth, the flesh, the carnal nature, the reason why Galatia had a, 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 a problem, in you know, a doctrinal problem in returning to the law and going back to the law, where Paul says, you know, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And if you've been walking with us this long, you have an understanding of formula. You see? And when you hear me say, like, you know, I look at the pastors today, I look at the male pastors today, I'm not, I'm not impressed. Not to say that I need to be impressed, but when you understand formula, it's like, oh my goodness, this guy is disqualified. This guy is disqualified. This lady is absolutely disqualified. She's disqualified. She's disqualified. He's disqualified. He's disqualified. And so in verse 2, when Paul says that these things that you've heard from me, it's not a prideful sense in saying, oh, you know, hey, Timothy, it's my way or the highway. But when you understand formula, Paul's got the goods. Timothy's got the goods. Full package. You see? And this doctrine, Timothy... Paul says, commit it to men who are able to teach. But don't forget, you know, Timothy himself is always being mindful of formula. He's not just going to take, you know, some Joe Schmo and say, hey, you know what? You're a teacher. I'm going to commit these these doctrines to you. No, there's a very specific formula. A lot of times what happens in ministries is that people just, uh, pastors, they just choose warm bodies. Hey, we we have a need over here in the church. Hey, you, come over here. What's your name? They don't even know his name. You know, hey, what's your name? Hey, nice to meet you. We got a need over here. Do you want to serve the Lord and do this? Do you want to be a part of what the Lord is doing and do this? And they use carnal mechanisms and carnal tools. A new believer, maybe even not a believer, they say, well, you know, of course I I want to be on the Lord's side. So yeah, I'll go ahead and do it, work in this ministry. And the whole time, it's the person who's the overseer who bears the responsibility. You see? They're the ones that are in the wrong. And in this guidance, in this formula that isn't aligned with the word of God, churches turn into a mess. A mess. Doctrinally, you see the carnal. You see, I mean, like, you look at Corinth. They had their issues. I mean, if, if, if they had their issues, the works of the flesh. They had it. I mean, and, 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 and Paul cleaned house. You, you know, the Lord cleaned house using Paul, using Chloe. The Lord cleaned house. Galatia, they had their issues. But today, that was 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. But today, you have churches that have Problem upon problem upon problem upon problem. I mean, in Corinth, at least with Corinth, which was, you know, not so good. At least with Corinth, it was, you know, I don't want to say just the flesh, but in one sense, I want to say just the flesh. 
at least with Galatia, it was, you know, you know it sounds terrible to say just doctrinal because it sounds like, well, that's a big deal. Just like, you know, it's not, to say just the flesh, it's like, well, that, that's a big deal. Yes, it's a big deal. But compared to today, compared to today, I mean, it's 2022. Compared to today, at least with Corinth, it was just the flesh, you know, not to candy coat flesh. At least with Galatia, it was just doctrinal, not to candy coat doctrine. Those are big issues. But today, you have a plethora of problems. Doctrinal and the flesh. That's the bad package deal. That's the package deal of evil. You got like triple whammies, double whammies, triple, quadruple, uh, quintuple, and I don't know what goes after that. I mean, you know, I can search it, but I don't know. So quintuple, you know, times 10. You have all these issues that come up in the church. And the whole time, the pastor's defunct. He dresses like a pastor. He speaks like a pastor. He's got the plaques on his wall. He's got the degree on his wall. He's got the pastor parking spot. He's got the name tag that says he's Pastor Joe Schmo. But when you understand the formula, you read the Bible, you know, hey, that ain't no pastor. He can say he's a pastor till he's blue in the face, but you know what? I know the formula. That ain't no pastor. He ain't it. Now you understand when Paul says you have 10,000 teachers, but one spiritual father. And so Timothy, when he says in verse two, that, you know, this, these things that you've heard from me, which isn't said in a prideful way. Among many witnesses, he says, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now Timothy is like part of the, it sounds too official to say selection process. But in one sense, it is a selection process. Paul, in Paul's bubble, tiny, tiny bubble, not the big bubble, not the medium bubble, but the little bubble. In Paul's little bubble, the next generation of pastors. And Paul is teaching Timothy now about his own bubble. The larger bubble, the church. Medium bubble, ministry leaders. Tiny bubble, pastors. The next generation of pastors. You see? So that the word of God can go forth. When I die, Timothy, the word of God can go forth. When you die, Timothy, the word of God can go forth. You see? Like leapfrog. Generation to generation to generation. It's not just, it's not just a warm body. Don't just say like, hey, you, you want to be a pastor? Hey, you, we got a need in the church. What's your name? No. I mean, remember the formula when just for serving in tables in the book of Acts? Just for serving in tables. Now, very specific. I don't want to say like just for serving in tables, but it was just for serving in tables. Not to, not to neglect that. I mean, if you're listening and you happen to serve in the tables at church, you know, I don't want to say like, hey, you know, those, that's a menial task. No, it's a big deal. There's, when, it's, when it's in the Lord and for the Lord and for his glory, it is no small thing. It is a big deal. But just for serving in tables, 
There was a very specific formula. Stephen had it. Philip had it. Other guys had it. See? Timothy being mindful of formula for the next generation. Faithful men who will be able to teach others also, he says. And we look at verse 3. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. Me personally, I don't like that word soldier. That's just me personally. I have my reasons, but we'll table that for another day. But it translates in the Greek as warrior. I like that. I don't like soldier. I like warrior. You therefore, Timothy, in verse 3, Remember, one-on-one, one-on-one. It's very important to understand one-on-one. Paul to Timothy. Because it's not, I don't say that in a bad way. Like if if you're not a pastor, it's not to say that, well, you know, let's skip this book and skip these studies because you're not not a pastor. No, you and me, we have to understand formula so that we know who we submit to, you see? So, you know, like, remember, you know, you and me, we get in the time machine, we go to Corinth, like, who are we going to submit ourselves to? Who is it? Who is the man that we are going to submit ourselves to spiritually? That will help us, that will train us, that will equip us, that will teach us, that will help us mature in Christ, that will play rugby with us. If you're listening for the first time, like, what, rugby? Listen to our study through Romans, you'll understand more. Who is it that we're going to submit ourselves to? Where perhaps in the course of time, these pastoral epistles will take on a new light because now we're being called into pastoral ministry. You see? It's it's so beautiful how the Lord works. And Paul, I mean, going back to, you know, like we're in a time machine, we go to Corinth, who are we going to submit ourselves to? Just you and me, who are we going to submit ourselves to? But let's get back in the time machine and come to today. Right here, right now, who is the man that we're going to submit ourselves to? Where is he? Where does he teach? Where does he fellowship? Where is that church? I know they're, you know, I teach from America. And in America, there's churches on every street corner. And you might be listening from another country and be like, wow, that's so awesome. That's so cool. Wow, churches on every street corner. But I'll put it in another context. There are houses of poison on every corner. It's. Formula is very important. You see? So if you're not a pastor, we don't look at these pastoral epistles like, you know, like in a negative sense, like, oh, this can't be me. This doesn't apply to me, so I'm going to skip it. No, you and me, we have to know who to submit ourselves to. Where is the pastor that we, we will submit ourselves to? You see, 
and we understand field and worker. I say, you know, who is the pastor? Where is the pastor? Where is the church where he fellowships that we can submit ourselves to? So that we can grow, we can mature in Christ. Learn to fight, be equipped, roll around on the mat and learn how to fight. Just like the demon said, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, but who in the world are you? So that won't be said of us. They'll know who we are. Because we've been equipped. We're, a, we're warriors for Jesus Christ. You know, there's no... You know, warriors, they just don't come out of a conveyor belt. Warriors are trained. Warriors are disciplined, in discipline. They are trained, you see? And we see here in verse 3, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In the Greek, translates as warrior. Remember, this is Paul to Timothy. And he's saying to Timothy, you must endure. Do you remember our study in Thessalonians? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, in verse 3, Paul says, we're made for this. Tribulation. We're made for this. In Acts 14, verse 22, that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. You see, to endure hardship. And that's what Paul is saying here to beautiful, beautiful Timothy. In verse 4, no one engaged in warfare. Now this is to serve in the duties and functions and capacity of war. To be engaged in combat. That's how it translates here in the Greek. It's not just like, well, you know. There's a war over there, and there's a war over here, war over there. Okay, no big deal. We're, we're safe and sound. Sometimes people play their video games. And they think about warfare, and it's like, wow, this is so cool. Look, I get to, I got, you know, all these bullets. I get to shoot this. I run over here. I run over this hill, run over this mountain. But have you ever run over a mountain in real life? I'll run over this mountain, run over, shoot here, shoot here, shoot there. Shoot. Have you ever carried ammunition, uh, ammunition in real life? Have you ever jumped off a troop carrier in real life? In the ocean? On wet sand? You sink. When you jump, jump off like a, an LCU and your, your feet hits earth while well, you're still in the ocean, you sink. You're not your normal weight because you have gear, you have weapons, you have ammunition, which is heavy, and you sink. Your legs better be strong. You see? A lot of times people have this separation from warfare. And, you know, I like that. You know, you know praise the Lord that we have separation from warfare. There is coming a time where... Men will not have to learn war anymore. And it's beautiful. 
But I don't say this in a carnal sense, like, oh, you know, like, oh, we got to, you know, uh, you know, uh, fight with weapons of warfare. But we do have to fight. But the weapons of warfare are not carnal. And Paul, when he uses this word in the Greek, it's the the duties and the functions and the operation and the conduct and the in serving in the capacity of war and combat. Remember to Joshua, the Lord says, be strong and courageous. But as new covenant believers, you and me, we embrace weakness. We embrace weakness, you and me. A complete and total reliance on God's strength, knowing that His grace is sufficient. Remember how Paul pleaded with the Lord three times? You and me, we know that God's grace is sufficient. And in our, you and me, in our weakness, it's God's strength. In you, in me, that is made perfect. And Paul says, for when I am weak, I am strong. You see? I know men, pastors, ministry leaders, who I would never want to go to combat with. Never. I'm going to say combat. I'm talking about spiritual warfare. I would not want to go in like the front lines of spiritual warfare with this guy, with that guy. And these are, you know, men who are pastors. I don't want to go to war with that guy. He's alive. If I have him at my side, I'm going to die. I'm going to take a bullet. If I, if I'm at hit, if I got this guy by my side, he doesn't got my back. He's, he's disqualified. If I need him to carry this pack, if, you know, if he needs to carry ammo, if, you know, if I get shot and he's got to carry me, he can't do it. He's disqualified. He's a liability on the front lines. I don't want to deploy with that guy. But I know women. Absolutely. I want to go to war with her. You see? She's not a liability. You see, she can carry a pack. She can carry ammo. If I get shot, it, no problem. You see, a lot of times we have a carnal idea about spiritual warfare. When it's, you have to take the carnal and get rid of it. Old Testament studies, see, we make distinction between field worker, Old Covenant, New Covenant, Old Testament, New Testament, rules of engagement in both covenants. Very specific distinctions that we make and we urge and we constantly remind of and, and, and speak of and say these things, you know, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. And, you know, uh, Old Covenant, New Covenant, rules of engagement. Because what happens is that Christians, believers... They read passages like the Old Testament, the warfare that we see like in Joshua. And the warfare, and they're like, oh, look, okay, so 
Israel, they're fighting, and God says go and fight, and they're killing, and all these things, and so, you know what? To arms. Look, we're losing our country. The world's going, you know, south, and the world's going crazy, so, well, you know what? To arms. Let's let's take our weapons, and let's go fight, and, you know, let's do all these things, but it's it's carnal. It's carnal. Look at Paul when you read the book of Acts. Paul is engaging in like hardcore spiritual warfare. Demon-possessed people are being freed in the power of the Lord in Paul and all these things are happening and then all of a sudden people come to arrest him. And you know what happens? You think like, oh my goodness, this guy's like a warrior and like he's just like, you know, taking names, spiritually speaking, just taking names. And then all of a sudden he comes to get arrested and you know what happens? He gets arrested. He's in the Philippian jail. You think like, how could, how could such a warrior go out like that? Well, he understands rules of engagement. He understands the covenant. He can't fight according to the flesh. But he can fight according to the spirit. And he does fight according to the spirit valiantly. You see? And so we make these distinctions. You and me. It's beautiful to be weak. Beautiful. You know, you know if you're like a 10-year-old, you're listening, you're 10 years old, and you're like, wow, my, my arms are like little, little noodles. Praise the Lord. We rejoice in weakness. Now, understanding formula, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, I'm weak. Well, why are you weak? Well, I go to strip clubs. I do the, the Buddha and I, I, I worship Mary. I go gambling and do a, well, okay. That's like the stupid weak. I'm talking about a different kind of weakness. You're 10 years old. You got the noodle arms. Don't be discouraged. I know like kids. That if, you know, you take pastors at the pulpit who I would never want to go to spiritual war with. Never. They're a liability. If I get shot, you know, like, I don't want him at my side because he can't do anything. He's disqualified. I, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to deploy with this guy. But I know women. I know kids. It's like, you know what? If I go to war, I'm, I want to go with them. You see? Noodle arms. Carnally speaking, noodle arms. Spiritually speaking, warriors. You see? That's what Paul is saying here to little Timmy. I mean, he's an adult, but, you know, I say little Timmy, like, just like terms of endearment. I wonder, I wonder if Paul was like, you know, formal. I, I doubt he was formal. Timothy, come hither. I, I, I doubt he was, you know, formal with T Timothy. Timothy, come hither. Thou shalt, you know, just like, hey, little Timmy, come here. I doubt there were the form formalities. And so we see this exhortation from Paul to Timothy in verse 4. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Now, remember, this is Paul to Timothy. This is worker to worker. The letters to the churches, worker to field. 
worker to field, worker to building. But this is worker to worker. You see? And he says that no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. You see, we make these distinctions because not only does it help us understand deeper things, but sometimes, you know, if a person is in the field, like in the pews, not a worker, not a pastor, not in ministry, and you have somebody who's in the pews, and then they read verse 4, and they're like, oh, they, they read verse 4 carnally, and they say, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Okay, so listen, I'm a Christian, I sit in the pews, uh, I'm in spiritual warfare, and you know what? I don't care about the affairs of this life, so um, I'm not going to go to work, I'm not going to have a job, and I don't have a wife and kids, and you know what? I, I don't want to work, I don't want to provide for them, because look, the Bible says that you know I'm in, in, I'm in warfare, and I don't want to be concerned about the affairs of this life, because it is written. But that's stupid talk. That's the language of the idiot. I say idiot, he's like, whoa, that's hardcore. Well, in the Greek, it's just what Paul says, idiotes. That's the language of the idiotes. Where we get the word idiot from? It's without understanding. That's baby talk. Because this is qualified worker to qualified worker. Saying that, Timothy, no one engaged in this combat this theater of war and not just to be in the theater of war and you know twiddle your thumbs this is to be in the theater of war and a warrior this is like you know we're getting it on this is like you know like warfare and that person that warrior isn't entangled with the affairs of this life worker to worker And sometimes Christians, the freeloaders, well, you know, so, you know, I'm in spiritual war, I sit in the pews, and, you know, the pastors read verse 4, no one engages in warfare, entangles himself with the affairs of this life, so you know what? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go to work. I'm not gonna have a job, I don't need to look for a job, you know. I got a wife, I got a kid, I got, you know, I know the... I don't want to be in, uh, 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 entangled with the affairs of this life. So, hey, church, hey, pastor, we have this need. Look, at we're starving. So, you know, can you help us out? Because the Bible says that we bear one another's burdens. But the qualified worker, the pastor, can tell such a person, it is also written, you don't work, you don't eat. Don't be a freeloader. You got to provide for your family. Don't burden the church. You see? Remember, we have to have a good reputation with those who are on the outside. We make this distinction between field and worker. This isn't Paul writing to Timothy saying, Hey, look, don't be entangled with the affairs of this life, so it's okay to be a freeloader. No, this is qualified worker. Timothy knows. Timothy knows formula. We're talking full package. Full package, full package Paul to full package Timothy. You see? 
And you have freeloaders. Freeloaders, mostly men. Losers who don't want to work. They don't want to get a job. They don't want to earn a paycheck. Oh, but the Bible says not to be engaged with the affairs of this life. Well, are you a pastor? Are you a ministry leader? Qualified? Are you a warrior? Qualified warrior? You see? And if, oh, the, the, the Bible says not to be affair, engaged with the affairs of, entangled with the affairs of this life. No, 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 no. Very specific formula. Hey, go get a job. You see? You see how understanding formula, understanding rules of engagement, understanding uh, uh, covenants, old and new, understanding testaments with examples, I mean, all over the Bible. How it helps us under... I mean, we're just in verse 4. You see how... That knowledge, that base plate of that understanding helps us understand verse 4 in a deeper way. And then helps us understand, but then on top of that, helps us discern what to look out for. I meant... Remember, I say, you know, get, we get in our time machine, we go to Corinth, who are we going to submit ourselves to? But what if we, what if we don't get a time machine? What if we're in the here and now, 2022? We're in the here and now. Where do we go to church? And you start to look, you know, okay, what, what is the doctrine that this guy teaches? But then you also look at the fruit in the fellowship. Look at these guys. These men are crazy. Look at these women. These women are crazy. Look at the kids. These kids are crazy. Why are they crazy? Is everybody a new believer? Do they just not understand because they're new believers? Then, you know, you, you meet, like, you know, hi, how you doing? And how long have you been coming to church here? And they say, oh, I've been coming here my whole life. You know, how old are you? Oh, I'm 50. Whoa. <coughs> Excuse me. Fifty years, and there's still this works of the flesh. Fifty years. Now we're talking leaven material. You see, these are things that we look out for, and so Paul continues about the warrior who is engaged in warfare. This is worker, worker, not field. Now. If you're not a worker, and I don't say that like, you know, we all have works unto the Lord. Every Christian has works unto the Lord, which you read Brother James, it's obedience unto the Lord. But when I say worker, I'm talking about the man or the woman that God calls to work in his field. That's what I'm talking about. The man or the woman that God calls to work in this vast field. That's where we make the distinction. Those are the workers. It's not to be, 
if you're not in ministry, you're not a pastor, you're not a teacher, you're not an elder, you're not a ministry leader, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. It's just the opposite. For me, my perspective, I'm like encouraged because it's like, wow, you know, you know, these believers, they're not in ministry yet. These believers, there's not, they're not pastors yet. They're not elders yet because we're in the training phase. Who is it? Male, female, I don't care. That the Lord has called to work in his field. Servants of the Lord. And of these warriors, of these workers. And Paul says that these workers who are engaged in warfare, these warriors who, like in verse 3, are enduring hardship as a good warrior of Jesus Christ. I'm using the Greek. It says soldier reading out of the New King James Version. But, you know, looking at the Greek warrior. I just don't like the word soldier. That's just me. I have my reasons, but, you know. I like warrior, more hardcore. And Paul says in verse 4, speaking of the warrior, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier or as a warrior. It's to please the master, Jesus. It's to please him, obedience unto him. It's his field. Who is the worker in this great big field? You see? Who is the worker? And so Paul says in verse 5, speaking to a fellow warrior, fellow worker, who are not like the average bear in verse 5. And also, if anyone competes in athletics. So look, in verse 3, he says soldier, warrior. In verse 5, now we're talking about the athlete. If anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. You see, according to the formula. According to the formula. If I say, hey, everybody, let's meet in the park. We're going to play soccer. You know, we're going to have a a nice soccer game. Now, if you're in America, I say soccer. But if you're outside of America, we're going to play football. Hey, everybody, you know, let's meet over here. We're going to meet at the park. We're going to play a beautiful, beautiful game of football. Soccer for my American brothers and sisters. Football for everybody else. (laughs) And this time, on this day, we're going to meet. We're going to have a nice fellowship. And afterwards, we're going to have a picnic. And we're going to pray. And we're going to, you know, we're going to just have a nice time of fellowship. A nice, beautiful game of soccer. And old people can play with the young people. The young people play with the old people. And everybody in between. And then all of a sudden, I come. Everybody's there. We got our cleats. And everybody's, or you know, everybody's got the cleats on. Everybody's ready to, you know, have a nice game. And. All of a sudden, it's like 
A guy comes in with a, a baseball bat. Baseballs and mitts. A guy comes with his cricket gear. It's the wrong formula. Wrong formula. And that's what Paul is talking about here in verse 5. If anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned. He's not crowned. Now there's this very specific formula. Unless he competes according to the rules. You say, wait, wait a second. That's not what this guy says. That's not what that guy says. That's not what the, the doctor in theology says. That's not what this ministry leader says. That's nice. It's what the Bible says. And the word became flesh. And Jesus is the head pastor over every church, over every man, over every woman, over every child, over every family, over every home. He is the authority. I don't care what guy number one says, guy number two says, lady number three says. I don't care what they say. I don't care if they have plaques on their walls that say, you know, doctor here, master's this, degree in this. That's nice. What does the Bible say? The Bible says there's a specific formula according to the rules. And so in verse 3, we see to endure the hardship of the good soldier, the good warrior. In verse 5, we see to, to, uh, 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 to compete in athletics. So we see the warrior, we see the athlete. Now we see in verse 6, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Crops here is fruit as plucked. This, is, this word in the Greek is a derivative of harpazo. Which is a rapture, a rapture word. Harpazo, that's a rapture word. And this word is a derivative of harpazo, which is to seize, to pluck. The same word for the rapture. And this is like a rapture before the rapture. A mini rapture before the rapture rapture. You say, what do you mean a mini rapture? Pastors who gather a holy people. Shepherds faithful to the Lord. Shepherds. Qualified men. Who teach a remnant. Who prepare a remnant. I know there's churches with thousands of people, mega church over here, mega church over there, thousands and thousands of little churches and this and that. But you know what? That's nice. When we understand formula, we see something different. A lot of churches are in trouble. Don't forget in Revelation 2 and 3, seven churches. The majority, five, they're told to repent. There's only two that are in good standing with the Lord, Philadelphia and Smyrna. There's only two that are in good standing with the Lord. The other ones, the Lord says, you got to repent. So five churches, 
They have their pastors. They have their shepherds. But what in the world are they doing? Now you look at the shepherds of Philadelphia, the shepherds of Smyrna. That's what I'm talking about. That's like, you know, that's full package. The shepherds, the pastors, the elders, the overseers, the teachers in Philadelphia, in Smyrna, we're talking full package. You see, now you see full package upon full package, because if you've been listening to our study through the pastoral epistles, you understand package one, package two, package three, package four, full package. But now we have package upon package because we have the warrior, verse four, or verse three. We have the athlete, verse five. We have the farmer in verse six. You see? What's, this is like... You know, rapture, you know, the mini rapture before the, the, the rapture rapture. As a derivative, it's to partake of the crops. That would be like the pastors, the overseers in Philadelphia and Smyrna. Because those saints, they're not told by the Lord to repent. Which means what? They're nice and clean. Nice and pure, a beautiful, 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 sweet aroma unto the Lord. Philadelphia and Smyrna. You see? Well done, pastors. Well done, pastors. You see? Of Philadelphia and Smyrna. Because the saints of the Most High are clean and pure. You see? Sometimes people say, well, the rapture, you know, Philadelphia, the church, they're, they're raptured. But don't forget Smyrna. Don't forget Smyrna. You see? And Paul says here in verse 7, in this one-on-one -on -one letter, you know, don't forget Paul when he describes his own godly jealousy in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, when he says that I am jealous for you. He says that to the saints. I'm jealous for you. But he, he explains that it's a godly jealousy that he may present the saints as a chaste virgin to Christ. You see, like, jealousy? How is it that a pastor can be jealous over the flock? What's a godly jealousy? We're a pastor who knows the formula, a pastor who knows the landscape. Can be hurt to the core and weep knowing that there's these influencers that do have the ability to influence. How do you think, how do you think Paul felt? I mean, he goes into Corinth. He goes into Corinth and a church starts. You know, when I speak about Paul, it's not to deify Paul. Remember, he says of himself, it is no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. It's to exalt Christ in Paul. You see the work of Jesus inside of Paul. 
How do you think Paul felt when he birthed those Christians in Corinth? And then three years later, to read a letter from the saints in Chloe's house. I mean, you know, it's this beautiful love that he has for Chloe. He gets a letter from Chloe and he reads that letter. How do you think he felt? Knowing that he's not there. Remember in Acts 20 when he says to the elders elders of Ephesus in Miletus, the Miletus meeting. And he says, I know this. That after my departure, the ravenous wolves will come in. And even from among yourselves, some of you are going to turn into, into turn into wolves. And he says, this is going to happen. I know that this is going to happen after my departure. Now, he's not boasting and saying, well, you know, I'm hardcore. You know, I'm awesome. And, you know, when I leave, I know that things are going to turn a mess. He's not saying it like that. But he knows he's got the goods, not in a prideful sense. He knows the formula. He knows that abiding in Christ, he has to have the formula because in that capacity that the Lord called him to, if he doesn't do that, he knows, hello, lake of fire. He knows the formula. He's counted the cost. He knows that if he doesn't do that, hello, lake of fire. You see, he himself has fear of the Lord. Love of the Lord, yes. Obedient to the Lord, yes. But also the fear of the Lord. Now put yourself in Paul's sandals. I'm happy to hold an envelope with, you know, Chloe's handwriting. It says, you know, his name. Who's this from? It's from Chloe. Oh, beautiful Chloe, oh. What a lovely woman. She's so beautiful. Let's open this up. Okay, open. Reads this, you know, dear Paul, you know, got the, you know, how you doing? You know, (laughs) but then you get into the nitty gritty. Hey, Paul, this guy's having sex with his dad's wife. Got the alcoholics over here. Extortion over here. And Paul didn't like, oh, how dare Chloe? She's a tattletale. She's gossiping. She's a she's a busybody. She's no. He understands. He knows formula. He knows her heart. He knows that you know, like because of the formula, he knows Chloe's got the goods. She's got the goods better than the pastor's got the goods. I say he knows the heart, but you know that I don't mean I don't I don't mean it like he knows the heart, like the Lord knows the heart. I mean like he knows, like you know, she's got the goods. She meets the criteria for formula, not as a pastor, but as a beautiful, godly woman. Put yourself in Paul's sandals, reading that letter. Christians who he birthed. I mean, when he says you have 10,000 teachers, but one father, the words that he used, it's like you passed through my birth canal. Like he literally gave birth to them. I mean, that's impossible. But spiritually speaking, that's how he, you guys are like my children. You see? 
And there's the sorrow for the saint. But how do you think he feels about the pastors? <laughs> how do you think he feels about the elders, the overseers? How do you think he thinks about his children, his spiritual children, who are in submission under these men? How do you think he feels about that? Who in the world are these guys? Not the Christians. I mean, like the, the pew Christians. The pulpit Christians. Who in the world? Who is this guy? Where does he get off teaching this? I mean, the sorrow for the saint. But then think about what he thinks about those so-called pastors, about those so-called elders, about those so-called ministry leaders, about those so-called teachers, about those so-called shepherds. I'm doing my air quotes. How do you think he feels? To know that his spiritual children are submitting themselves to the freak show shepherd. Oh, the Bible says, but Paul, the Bible says we have to submit to the pastor. Yes, it does say that. But you have to understand the biblical qualifiers so that you understand formula. You see? So that you know that this guy is okay to submit to, but because you don't do that, because you don't understand formula, you submit to this guy and look at the fruit of it. You see? Paul gets Chloe's letter. He sees it's beautiful. It's got her handwriting also beautiful. Beautiful, godly woman. He opens a letter. Hey, Paul, how you doing? Um, you know, the first paragraph, second paragraph, we get down to the nuts and bolts. And then all of a sudden, just in shock. Now, the Bible doesn't say he was like in tears, but I can only imagine he was probably in tears. He probably fell to his knees. He probably fell to his knees. He probably had to finish the letter sitting down to discover and learn what happened to his beautiful children in the faith. Childless according to the flesh, but children according to the spirit. And in writing a letter in response where he says separate, but in speaking to the remnant in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, he speaks of his godly jealousy. It's not to have ownership like, hey, flock, you are mine. No. You belong to the Lord. A faithful shepherd, a worker in God's field. He's the one who says, I'm jealous for you. I know you have this pastor, that pastor, this pastor, that pastor, this pastor, that pastor, this pastor. I know you have 10,000 teachers. But I'm jealous for you. It's not a carnal jealousy. Because he says, I want to present you as a chaste virgin. 
to Jesus Christ. You see? And so now, saints, Paul is in prison. He's exhorting a fellow worker, a fellow warrior, a fellow athlete, a fellow farmer. He's writing a letter to a fellow worker in the field who's not like the average bear. Very, very tiny, tiny bubble. Paul and Timothy. And saints have left him. Remember I said last week, all the saints in Asia have left me. He's becoming more and more alone. I mean, you look at the time frame here. Look at how Paul was held in high esteem. And in less than 10 years, they hate him. Paul is held in high esteem. And in, you know, in some cases, three years later, in some cases, five years later. But when you look at the saints in Asia and Paul says, all, all the saints in Asia have left me. That's just, we'll say less than 10 years. I mean, it is less than 10 years, but you know, in some, the start of people leaving could have happened two years later, three years later, four years later. But in the span of 10 years, they say, okay, we're done with Paul. That was because some people treat Christianity as a temporal thing. project you know they just oh, I'm, 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 I'm gonna try my hat at christianity so you know yeah i'll be a christian a couple years go by well you know i don't like it you know can't do crack anymore can't do the sex anymore can't go gambling anymore see can't do the buddha anymore can't be a tax cheat anymore I go to this church, the guy says this, and you know what, I just, everybody hates him, and I just, you know, so, nobody likes me anymore, and I like my friends, I like to, you know, go to the bars and do this, and so, you know what, I I, I tried Christianity, but I'm done with it, and I'm not just done with it, but this guy, I don't like him anymore, you know, he's kind of dumb, he's kind of crazy, you know. Because he keeps going on and on and on. So I'm done. That's what's happening. A lot of people treat Christianity as just a temporal, temporal experience. Even an experiment. But you look at the condition of heart. Understanding what the word of God says about Fertile soil in the heart of men. Mankind, men and women. We want good ground. Where holy seed can go in. The good heart, the noble heart. Not to be a short-term believer. And I say less than 10 years in the case of Asia and all of a sudden saints are leaving Paul. Okay, we're done. We, we tried it out. You know, things were okay, but... Man, those Rome, the religious leaders, and then the Romans, they came, they came hot and heavy, you know. And so, okay, we're done with Paul, you know. We're 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 not. No, we're, I don't. No, that was a nice experiment, but I didn't know it was gonna be so serious. So you know what? I'm gonna go back to my life. Go back to the 
the glitz and the glam, the bright lights, the big city, and get my friends back. And that's what happened to Paul. He's in prison. He's about to be beheaded. And he's writing this letter explaining to Timothy. Explaining to Timothy that he has to endure as well. I mean, these are things that Timothy himself have to look forward to in terms of like, hey, these things are in play. What's happening to Paul can happen to you, Timothy. I mean, when you're a worker, I mean, when you're a worker, Satan, when you're a qualified worker, you think Satan is not going to come against you? I mean, if you're a Christian, Satan is going to come against you. But if you're a qualified worker, your full package pastor, you think Satan is not going to come against you? He absolutely will. How does he do it? Well, multiple ways. Seduce. He'll, he'll go to the flock and start to seduce. Hey, look, got some sex over here. Got some drugs over here. Got the glitz and glam over here. Bright lights, big city. Oh, yeah, that guy's dumb. Don't listen to Paul. You see? And then Paul keeps going. You think like Paul would be like, okay, everybody left. Okay, I'm going to go back to Rome and get a job. But no. We're talking full package. He keeps going. And so what does Satan do? Okay, off with your head. You see, that's spiritual warfare. That's warfare. These are things that are in play for little Timmy. Not so little anymore, but I say little Timmy because I love the guy. These are things that are in play for Tim. Like he sees what is happening to Paul. And Timothy knows that, you know what? These things happen to Paul. I don't see a problem with Paul, you know, because, you know, he knows formula. He knows doctrine. He knows, he's been with Paul for 14 years. He knows the formula. He knows that Paul's got the goods. He knows that Paul is full package. People can say whatever they want about Paul, but Timothy knows, hey, you can think Paul's crazy. You can think Paul is dumb. You think can think Paul is, you know, too hardcore. You can say whatever you want, but he's got the goods. And so Timothy knows, you know what? This could be in my future too. I might go to prison too. I might get my head chopped off too. People might leave me too. That's the life of a worker. That's the life of the qualified worker. If you're a pastor, don't expect to be Mr. Popular. If you're a teacher, don't expect to be Mr. or Mrs. Popular. Don't expect it. Because historically, those people were killed. And we're just looking at it like a 10-year window with Paul. All the saints in Asia have left him. 
I almost said the Asians have left them, but it was the saints in Asia, which, you know, include Turkey and those. But all the saints, they've left him. And Timothy knows, okay, these things, they're in play for him. And that's just a 10-year window. Now, fast forward to today, we're 2,000 years into from then. We're two, not a 10-year window. We're 2,000 years, give or take a couple years. We're 2,000 years deep. You see? You amplify that departure away from Paul. And when I say Paul, I'm speaking of sound doctrine. You amplify that departure away from sound doctrine. And then we get into prophecy. A defection away from truth. Apostasy. You see? He says in verse 7, Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember, understanding, knowledge is a gift of the Spirit. And may the Lord give you understanding in all things. When Paul says, consider what I say, is to think on these things, to endure like the warrior, endure like the athlete, endure like the farmer. Better said is to endure like the warrior, compete like the athlete, and work like the farmer. Farmers are among the hardest workers I've ever met in my life. I mean, you meet a farmer, hey, sir, how you doing? You shake his hand. It's like you're holding leather. I mean, their hands, like, you could take a knife to their hand and it's like the the blade won't even cut it. Their hands are like leather. Hey, sir, how you doing? Like vice grips. You're holding like a leather vice grip, you know? That's, the farmers I've met, you know, farmers are hard, hard workers. Hey, sir, how you doing? He's a farmer. And it's like, what in the world? This is like a straight up vice grip. And am I holding, is he wearing leather, like thick leather gloves? You look down, it's like, no, that's a skin. Like what in the world? Hardworking farmer. The hardworking farmer. And he continues, he says in verse 8, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. According to my gospel. Now it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when he says my gospel, it's according to the things I taught you, Timothy. That's what he's saying. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says according to my gospel. But don't forget, Paul He's a faithful servant of the Lord. It is no longer he who lives. He's crucified with Christ. It is no longer he who lives, but Christ who lives in him. So when he says, my gospel, it's not because when we understand formula, any Joe Schmo can say, my gospel. But when you know formula, it's like, okay, you say that's your gospel. You identify yourself as a servant of Satan. You identify yourself as a servant of your wallet, a servant of your belly. You identify yourself when you say it's your gospel because the Bible, the gospel of Jesus Christ in accordance to the word of God, that ain't it. You want to you, you wanna take me grave soaking? You want to say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved? You want to teach replacement theology? 
Sorry, buddy. That's another gospel. That's another spirit. That's another Jesus. And you know what that reveals? You're a false prophet. You're a false worker. You see how beautiful it is to understand formula? You see how safe it is to understand formula? It sounds elitist for Paul to say it according to my gospel. But little Timmy, he knows he's he, Paul's got the goods. He's full package. Package upon package to endure like the warrior. To compete like the athlete. And to work like the farmer. You see? Paul's the full package. About 10,000 teachers in Corinth. And Paul's the full package. He understands the scriptures. Remember, there are teachers and pastors who teach all kinds of things. And Paul doesn't say this with an elitist mentality. He knows the qualifiers. As a faithful servant unto the Lord. He knows what's in play. He knows that if he doesn't, hello, lake of fire. He knows what he feeds. Remember, Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 6, Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Jesus also says in Matthew 24, verse 10, that a sign of the last days, many will be offended because of me. Now, knowing that Jesus says that a sign of the last days is many will be offended. And he also says in Matthew 11 that blessed is he who is not offended because of me. The faithful shepherds of Jesus Christ. Many, many people will be offended because of them. Oh, you hurt my little feelers. You don't like it that I do the sex. You don't like it that I do the drugs. You don't like it that I do the crack. You don't like it that I do the lines. You don't like it that I cook spoons. You don't like it that I do the sex and the pornography and the strippers and the Buddha and the, the yoga and the, uh, uh, the Ouija boards and the occult. Oh, you hurt my little feelers. So you know what? I'm going to go to this church over here. This guy will tell me this. This guy will tell me that. I go to church. I feel good about myself. You see? There are pastors on every street corner. You see? What are the qualifiers? What are the qualifiers? And speaking of this gospel of Paul as a faithful servant of the Lord, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul says in verse 9, for which I suffer trouble or affliction as an evildoer. Translates as criminal, a doer of evil. I mean, I'm an evildoer. Translates as a doer of evil. It's kind of <laughs> 
But it translates as criminal, the doer of evil, and the, uh, 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 a person who has caused injury to another. Oh, Paul, you hurt my feelings. You caused injury to me because you tell me I can't do the sex. I can't do the drugs. I can't do the alcohol. I can't do the Buddha. I can't go gambling. I can't do the occult. I can't do the Ouija boards. Oh, you hurt my feelings. You see, I'm offended, Paul. And Paul is saying to Timothy about this gospel of Jesus Christ that I suffer trouble as an evildoer even to the point of chains. Remember, Paul's in prison. He's writing this letter from prison. He's about to be beheaded. But the word of God, Timothy, my beautiful son in the faith, the word of God is not chained. You see, the word goes forth. The word goes forth. I mean, put yourself in Timothy's sandals. You've been walking with Paul 14 years. You get the first letter. Four years later, you get the second letter. You start to notice certain trends. And you read these letters like, okay, look, it's happening to Paul. People are leaving Paul. The saints in Asia have left Paul. And not just people are leaving Paul, pastors are leaving Paul. And just five short years ago, he was held in high esteem. In some cases, eight short years ago. He was held in high esteem by the saints. And they're leaving him. And Paul is suffering in prison, about to be beheaded, counted as an evildoer, a criminal, a doer of evil, and somebody who has caused injury to another. And even to the point of chains, he's about to be beheaded. But the word of God is not chained. I mean, you put yourself in the sandals of Timothy, considering formula, considering package one, two, three, full package four, and on top of that, package upon package to endure like the warrior, to compete in as the athlete, and to work like the farmer. You put yourself in Timothy's sandals, who has counted the cost, and it was prophesied for him to be in ministry. From a young boy. Do you think he's going to be afraid? Do you think he's going to shun away from his calling? Now, I don't say that in a prideful sense. Like, okay, you know, like in a prideful, like, you know, no way. I'm not going to walk away. You know, let's get it on. You know, I don't say that in a prideful sense. But in humility before the Lord. In humility before the Lord. Timothy counting the cost. He's not like the average bear because he was taught by somebody who was not like the average bear. We're talking warriors. And he knows that the word not only goes forth, 
but in him, the word will continue to go forth. You see? End of the road for Paul. But just like passing the baton, faithful Timothy is going to continue. You see? Therefore, Paul says in verse 10, I endure all things. Now, Timothy sees, by example, Paul is enduring. And Paul tells Timothy to endure, but Paul's not a hypocrite. He's enduring himself. And Paul says, I endure all things. I mean, you put yourself in Paul's sandals. I mean, he's, remember, he pleaded to Caesar, which exercising his right as a Roman. But in exercising his right, cost him his life. He knows that the word of God is not chained. It's kind of like a diversion for the saints. I mean, when you think about like the tactics of warfare, it's almost like a diversion for the saints, the faithful saints. It's a diversion for the remnant. Pleading to Rome. Taking focus, bringing focus upon himself. Not for self-exaltation. He's in prison about to be beheaded. But taking focus, bringing focus upon himself, pleading to Caesar. But then at the same time, you look at the safety that was provided for the saints. A lot of times, Christians today, oh, Paul, Paul, you know, he, he, he used his rights. He used his rights and our rights. I teach from America. You know, it's like, oh, you know, we have Second Amendment rights. So, you know, this guy's going to come against me. Okay, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to shoot him. Whoa, 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 whoa. They make up excuses. Because they don't understand formula. They don't understand covenant. They don't understand the rules of engagement. Oh, but Paul used his rights. Yeah, he did. Look at the deflection. Look at the diversion. Look at the safety for the saints. I mean, remember, I mean, when you reflect back on our studies, Remember when Paul, he didn't want to say, like, if he wanted to live or die, he says, if I live, you know, if I die, you know, everything's for Christ, you know, to live is Christ, to die is gain. But Paul says in the letter, like, you know, I don't want to say what I prefer. That's what Paul said. You know, I, I don't want to say, you know, because it's good for you that, you know, it's good, it's good for you. But, you know, my preference, I have a hunch that his preference was death. But as long as death escapes him, to endure, to compete, and to work like the warrior, like the athlete, like the farmer. But I have a hunch that death was 
something to be longed for, for Paul. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You see? And Paul says in verse 10, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, which is the chosen, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Whoa! That's kind of a big deal in verse 10. Because wait a second, I thought the elect already had salvation. You see? I thought the elect were automatically saved. Listen, the biblical formula is not once saved, always saved. I know a lot of people teach it. A lot of pastors teach it. That's nice. What does the Bible say? The biblical formula is not once saved, always saved. The biblical formula is once saved, Stay saved. Brother Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, make your election sure. Make your call and election sure. You see? He says in verse 11, 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, this is a faithful saying. For if, <clears throat> excuse me, he says, this is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. See, we, you, you hear us say this from time to time. You know how Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. And sometimes Christians we read that as a blanket statement where, you know, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm going to heaven. Which can't be done for everybody. It's not to say that that verse is not available for every saint. It should be. But whether or not it is, that's for each individual saint. For them, as Brother Peter says, to make their call an election sure. To obey the word of God. Do you see crucifixion? I mean, in your life, is there crucifixion? Spiritually speaking, I'm not saying, you know, go out and, you know, do something crazy. I'm talking about Spiritually, in your life, my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister, I don't care if you're young, I don't care if you're old. You might be, you know, triple digits. You might be 93 years old. Do you see crucifixion in your life? You might not have seen it yesterday, last week, or the last 20 years, but I'm talking about right here, right now. Do you see crucifixion in your life? You might be middle-aged. You might be eight years old, male, female, I don't care. Eight-year-old girl, 19-year-old boy, 40-year-old male. I, those are irrelevant. I'm talking about you, my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister. Is there crucifixion in your life spiritually? 
I mean, when Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. A very beautiful verse that Paul says of himself. Can you also say it? See? The answer might be yes, praise be to the Lord. The answer might be no. I also say, praise be to the Lord. You say, how do you say praise be to the Lord if the answer is no? Because now we've discovered this. And now, let's get you cleaned up. We got to get you cleaned up. You see? How does that happen? Repent. Repent, 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 repent. I don't care if you're young, eight years old, 93 years old, triple digits, middle aged, I don't care. Male, female, I don't care. We got to get you cleaned up. You want to commit your life to Jesus Christ or recommit your life to Jesus Christ? Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And we got to get you cleaned up. Now we get you cleaned up, it's not to say, okay, you're cleaned up, let's go do crack. If you're cleaned up, let's go to the casino. No. That's the old man, that's the old woman. Those days are over, those days are done. Every single day living for Jesus Christ. You see, not Monday through Friday. 24-7. Living for Jesus Christ, bringing him honor as a sweet aroma unto the Lord. Living sacrificially unto him. So that the very words, I am crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, can ring true in you, in me, in us, a remnant, a people of the way. Verse 11, this is a faithful saying, If we, for if we die... If we died with him, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. Remember verse 10. For the sake of the elect, Paul says, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You thought, wait a second, I thought that was a gimme. I thought it was one saved, always saved. Well, if it is one saved, always saved, if. It isn't, but if. Why would Paul say that for the elect, that the elect may obtain salvation? You see? Why would Paul say that? If it was once saved, always saved, how is it that the Bible says names can come out of the book of life? If it was once saved, always saved, how does Luke 8 say a person can be a believer and then all of a sudden walk away? The biblical formula is once saved, stay saved. Not always saved. Once saved, stay saved. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. You and me, we have to die in Christ. Reckon the old man dead. Reckon the old woman dead. Reckon the old boy dead. Reckon the old girl dead. That's the old nature. You might be 10 years old listening and like, well, I've never committed murder. I've never beaten somebody up. I've never done this. Well, have you ever disobeyed your parents? 
Sí. Disobedience unto the Lord. That's how, that's how we get dirty. That's how we get filthy. We got to be clean before the Lord, pure before the Lord. You see? And if you die with Christ, remember Paul says, while living, I am crucified with Christ. While, I mean, he was alive when he said that. When he, when he wrote it, he was alive. I am crucified with Christ. You see, it's like, well, wait a second. If he was living, how could he say he was crucified with Christ? Because Christ died on the cross. Now, according to the flesh, that would be understandable. But according to the spirit, it's a different ballgame. According to the spirit, it's a different ballgame. According to the spirit, a different set of rules of engagement. You see? Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. He's a dead guy. It's not Paul fulfilling the, you know, the desires of a carnal nature. It's Paul in obedience to the Lord. Paul who has been transformed by renewing of the mind. Because before, he would kill Christians, have them arrested, have them beaten. But in Christ... He's the one who's being beaten. He's the one who's taking stripes. He's the one who goes to prison on multiple occasions. He's the one who will die. You see? In verse 12, if we endure... We shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Now, many people attribute this as an once saved, always saved verse. Well, if we are faithless, he is faithful. So I can be a believer in Jesus Christ and go do my crack. I'm unfaithful, he's faithful. I can be a believer in Jesus Christ and, you know, go do my sex, the Buddha, uh, the Ouija boards, the, the yoga, and, you know, uh, worship Mary and do all these things. And you know what? So uh, I'm, I'm faithless. And so the Lord is faithful. You know, once saved, always saved. But they do so in error. The Lord's faithfulness is steadfast. Don't forget Don't forget that faith can deteriorate. Faith can reach a point of unbelief. That's the deceitfulness of sin that we read about in Hebrews 3. You see? He says in verse 13, he cannot deny himself. Now, people can deny Jesus. Remember, this is a one-on-one letter. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Pastors can deny Jesus. Shepherds can deny Jesus. I mean, if once saved, always saved were true, I mean, how could names come out of the book of life? And not just that, if once saved, always saved were true, how can shepherds become wolves? 
Saints can deny Jesus, but pastors can deny Jesus. Just read Acts 20. Pastors can deny Jesus. Remember Paul says, after my departure, the wolves will come in and even from amongst you you guys, the overseers. Some of you will become wolves. It's a letter to Timothy. And Timothy needs to understand, not just to count the cost. I mean, he absolutely needs to count the cost, but he needs to understand. I mean, he does understand formula and he does understand the importance of counting the cost. But tomorrow for Timothy, all the things that are happening to Paul, these are things that are in play for Timothy. I mean, we're talking prison. We're talking the beatdowns. We're talking, you know, being left for dead. We're talking Christians leaving him. We're talking about beheading. All these things are in play for Timothy. And this letter, one-on-one, Paul to Timothy, a letter of encouragement. You see? Now, remember verse 2, where Paul says to Timothy to commit these teachings to faithful men who are able to teach? Speaking about pastors and teachers. In verse 4, remind them of these things. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit. Now, not to strive about words is to quarrel over things of little substance. Not to strive about words to no profit. There's no advantage to, in quarreling. And of these teachers that, you know, the, the, the Paul's teachings and his doctrine committed to faithful men, like we read in verse 2, and Paul is saying to Timothy, remind these guys. Remind these teachers, these people who are able to teach these men, remind them that not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. To the ruin of the hearers. The ruin here is to be overturned and enter apostasy. That's how it translates. To the ruin is to overturn and enter apostasy. This is a new group of pastors in a bubble of Timothy. And Paul saying, charge them before the Lord not to quarrel over things of little substance because there's no advantage in quarreling. And not just that, the people who hear you, the, the, you guys are workers in the smaller bubble, but in the larger bubble, the pews, the field, it could be to the ruin of the hearers. So don't strive about these things. It's not good for the hearers because they can be overturned and enter apostasy. When they see these, that's the carnal nature of the flesh. Not to strive about things of little substance. And Paul to Timothy in verse 15 says, be diligent, which is to make effort and study. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Now, I don't want to lord over anybody's faith. But if you're a pastor, if you're a teacher, if you're an elder, if you're pastor or elder, 
you're male. But if you're a teacher, you might be female. I mean, male too, but I meant, you know. If you're a ministry leader, I don't want to lord over your faith. I don't want to lord over your walk. But in verse 15, if you are willing, highlight the word to God. To God. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. When you understand the formula, be diligent. Approval, never to man. Never, ever, ever to man. Because man will tell you, you're so stupid. You're such a legalist. That's what men will say. You're so stupid. Look, you have no fruit because look, you got, you know, tiny church. You don't have mega church. You have tiny church. Mega church is a piece of cake. Mega, you know, to have a mega church, that's super easy. Piece of cake, you need some capital. But it's super easy to have a mega church. But you know what? No God. A mega church requires no Jesus. You see? Just appeal to the senses. That's it. Appeal to the senses. Mega church is a piece of cake. But no Jesus. If you're a teacher, if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, if you're a worker, highlight to God. Because your approval is unto Him. Remember what God says of his son. He says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. What happened to Jesus? Everybody left him and he was killed. What happens to the prophets in the Old Testament? What happens to the apostles? What happens to Paul? Believers are leaving him. Pastors and teachers, your approval is unto God, unto the Lord. And your obedience to Him will most likely result in your solitude, not to exclude death. You see? Not to exclude death. It's a big deal. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, not to man. You see? And when he says in verse 14, not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. You know what Satan does is he uses this against pastors to prevent them from pastoring. He uses this verse to prevent teachers from teaching. And so the pastor or the teacher has in their mind, well, you know, the Bible says, you know, not to strive about words to no profit. And so I don't want to quarrel, you see, because it's not good for the flock. But biblical qualifiers must, must, must be understood. I mean, 
What if Paul didn't want to quarrel against the flesh of Corinth? What if Paul didn't want to quarrel against the flesh of Corinth? Do you remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, do you remember I spoke of my love-hate relationship with the book of Corinthians? The love-hate relationship? I love it, but I hate it. Because you see the flesh. You see the drugs, the alcohol, the extortion, the works of the flesh. I hate it. But I also love it. Because you see restoration. But restoration isn't like, you know, like, there's a process for restoration. Separating leaven from remnant. But what if what if Paul took this course of action where, you know, like, I don't want to strive about words to no profit because it's going to ruin the hearer. So I'm not going to talk about the extortion. I'm not going to say a word about the extortion because I don't want to hurt people's feelings. I'm not going to say a word about the sex because I don't want to hurt people's feelings. I don't want to say a word about the alcoholism because I don't want to hurt people's feelings. No. No. But when you understand formula, understand that only the clean can clean. Only the clean can clean. What if Paul took the approach with Galatia? Oh, you have Christians, they're going to the law, and you know, I don't wanna I don't wanna hurt anybody, I don't wanna quarrel about those things, so I'm not gonna say anything. His approval, he knows that it's unto the Lord. He knows that when he says something about the extortion, he's going to ruffle feathers. He knows that when he says something about sex, he's going to ruffle feathers. He knows that when he says something about the alcohol, he's going to ruffle feathers. He knows that when he says things about doctrine, he's going to ruffle feathers. About the law, he's going to ruffle feathers. About false doctrine, he's going to ruffle feathers. And when he's counted the cost, he knows that it could cost him his life. But is that reality before the Lord? Is that reality a reason to stop? And a lot of pastors get in trouble. Because yes, the Bible says in verse 14, not to strive about words to no profit. But you have to ask yourself a question. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, if you're a teacher, is it a small thing or is it a big thing? You see? Is this about genealogies or certain days? Okay, that's small. I'm not going to strive. I'm not going to quarrel about, you know, genealogies. I'm not going to quarrel about you know, certain days. People say Sunday. We worship on Sunday. Other people say, well, you worship on Saturday. Or just other people say, well, you know, I work weekends, so I worship the Lord on Tuesday. Hey, just like we study in the book of Romans. Remember our study? It's like, well, you know, for him, this day is unto the Lord. For this guy, this day is unto the Lord. These are the small things. But then a guy says, take the mark of the beast, he'll still be saved. That's not a small thing. That's a big thing. That's a big deal. A guy says, hey, you know what? Now we got to do the law of Moses. That's not a small thing. That's a big thing. Because if you're abiding in the law, you have exited Jesus Christ. That's not a small thing. 
See, if it's small, there's no advantage in quarreling. You see, when pastors have quarrels over certain days and genealogies, then it's not good for the for the hearers, for the church, for the Christians, because they can see it and be like, well, you know, just like what happened in Corinth. I'm with Paul. I'm with Cephas. I'm with Apollos. You see, that was under the leadership of the defunct, defunct pastors, defunct elders. They didn't understand. And if they did understand, they were very disobedient. Maybe some of those shepherds were wolves themselves. Is it a small thing? There's no advantage to quarrel. Is it a big thing? There is an advantage, but it's for the remnant. If it's a big deal, there is an advantage, but it is for the remnant. I'll give you an example. A pastor who has a study Bible says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Everybody loves the guy. But uh, that's not a small thing because you submit to a pastor who says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Hello, lake of fire. In accordance to the word of God, hello, lake of fire. That's not a small thing. That's a big deal. And people say, well, but the Bible says don't quarrel about, don't strive about words to no profit. Wait a second. Number one, it's not a small thing. Number two, it isn't to no profit. There is an advantage, but it's not for the masses because the masses will hate you. You stand up and say something against that, the masses will hate you. They'll think you're crazy. Oh, but he's got a study Bible. Oh, he's such a great expositor of the Bible. How dare you? How dare you? The masses, hey, they're going to hate you. They will hate you 100%. But the remnant, the advantage is for the remnant. You see? You got big mega churches who go grave soaking, which is to lay on grave sites of dead people. Mega churches. You say something against that. Is it a small thing? No, this is a big deal. It's a big thing. It's not a small thing. We're not, it's not a dispute over genealogies or days. This is a big deal. Now, the masses, they're going to hate you. Because look, it's the megachurch. That's where all the people are, you know. Mr. Popularity, look, it's, it's awesome, you know, according to them. It's awesome. The advantage, it's for the remnant. You see, I mean, think about what the leaven would have said about of, of Paul. Think about what the leaven, not would have said, think about what the leaven said of Paul. You got a big mega church in Corinth. You got the sex, you got the drugs, you got the alcohol, you got the extortion and all these works of the flesh. 
And then all of a sudden, a letter comes from Paul, and they say, okay, Christians, okay, remnant, separate from the leaven, not even to eat with such a person. And then Christians, the remnant, they do exactly that. They say, okay, look, I can't hang out with you anymore. Think about what the leaven would have said or did say. Think about what the leaven said. You're going to listen to Paul? What? He's so stupid. He's crazy. So what if I do the sex? So what if I go to the, the, the casino? So, so what if I do the gambling? So what if it, the prostitutes, the strippers, the drugs, the crack, the lines, the cooking spoons, the, the Buddha, the Ouija boards, you know, the occult. Paul's so mean-spirited. Look, God wants us to love one another. And you want to separate? You see, the advantage isn't for the leaven. The advantage is for the remnant. A lot of pastors get in a lot of trouble. Because it's, you know, they read verse 14. Look, I don't want to strive about words to no profit. Because it's going to ruin the hearers. And so they shut up about false doctrine. You see, you can't do that. If you're a faithful shepherd, if you're a faithful teacher, you cannot do that. Remember, highlight to God in verse 15. Highlight to God, approve to God. Who cares what man says? Who cares what man says? Man is man. I mean, I say who cares what man says, but if you got a Paul, if you got a Timothy, if you got a Titus, if you got a Priscilla, if you got a Killa, if you got a Chloe, you know, those are, these are, these are people that I would want to go to war with. Lois, Eunice, I, I want to go to war with these guys. You know, the freak shows? Nope. Disqualified. So we have to make these distinctions. If you're a pastor, if you're a teacher, if you're an elder, make the distinctions. Well, you know, like, I, I, I don't want to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. And you take Mark of the Beast guy, study Bible, who says take the Mark of the Beast, you'll still be saved. Doing nothing is to the ruin of the hearers. Being silent is to the ruin of those hearers. Why? Because they might take the Mark of the Beast, thinking they're going to be saved when the Bible says, hello, lick of fire. You see how Satan twists? Not just twisting doctrine. But he attempts to twist strategies. He attempts to twist in order to immobilize. We have to make these distinctions, especially if you're a pastor, if you're a teacher, if you're an elder. You must make these distinctions. Remember, highlight, if you are willing to God in verse 15, be diligent in verse 15 to present yourselves approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, who does not need to be ashamed. 
Think about what the world would say of Paul. Remember, he's in prison. Saints in Asia have left him. Pastors are leaving him. He's about to be beheaded. Think about what the world would say of Paul. Think about what the leaven would say of Paul. Oh, look, he's in prison. He's so stupid. Oh, what's that? He's about to be beheaded? You know what? Good. Good for him. He's about to be beheaded because you know what? He hurt my feelings when he told me that I can't do the sex and the Buddha and the extortion. And he told Christians not to hang out with me. He says that they had to separate from me and not even eat with me. You know what? I'm glad he's in prison. Good for him. Think about what the world would say. Think about what the leaven would say and understand what they are. Leaven is leaven. The world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. Paul knows that his approval, highlight is to God. He knows that his approval is unto the Lord. You see? It's unto the Lord. And that's what he's saying to Timothy. Be diligent, little Timmy. My son in the faith, make effort, little Timmy, my beautiful son, to present yourself approved to God. And Timothy, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So you take the Bible, which is the truth, the word of God. And how this translates is to expound and dissect correctly. Correctly. Accurately. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Something popular today among the millennial generation is the deconstructionism. Biblical deconstructionism. And so think of a toaster. You take a toaster, that's that kind of easy. Take like, I don't know, something that has a lot of components. We'll say a toaster just for, you know, example. You take a toaster and you take it all apart and you lay every, every little piece on the floor. Well, you, you take, a, take a car and you take a car and you take every little piece, every little, every little nut, every little bolt, every little screw, every little this, every little that, every little snap here, snap there, everything, and you take it all apart and you put it on the floor. Not organized. You just have a pile of rubble. Now, not a lot of people. There are people that can do it, but not a lot of people can put that car back together so that it runs again. Not a lot of people can do it. There are people that can do it, but not a lot. There are a lot of people who can put a toaster back together and have it function. But majority can't. A computer, a car, a building, uh, whatever it is. And that's what the deconstructionists have done with the word of God. And they use the influence of philosophers, European philosophers. Today, it's coming to the church. 
the millennials. And then you got, you know, these dumb pastors who are not millennials. They're the older generation. And because they want to be Mr. Popular, all of a sudden the millennials become their influencers and they start to do the same. And you got like a 60-year-old pastor, a 70-year-old pastor who is engaging in this deconstructionism. And they don't know how to they don't know how to rightly divine. They come up with these conclusions. Oh, you know, let's deconstruct the Bible. Let's put it back together. Okay, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. You see? Oh, let's deconstruct the Bible. Let's put it back together. Okay, God is done with Israel. Replacement theology. Okay, let's take apart the Bible. Let's put it back together. Okay, let's go grave soaking. See? Fools. Fools. And pastor to pastor, Paul says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth is to expound and dissect correctly, rightly, in a right manner. Not wrongly. Not to come up with these conclusions based on incorrectly dividing the word of truth. You see? And when you do it rightly, you don't need to be ashamed. Pastors today have done shameful things. Of course, you know, works of the flesh. Shameful things. But if there's no rightly dividing of the word of God, that's shameful. Because from that, what is produced from that? You see? That's how false doctrine starts to spread. That's how you have, you know, mega church and you have mega church and mega Christians, mega believers going to the gravesite, going to the cemetery to lay on the graves. You say, well, are they Christians? Well, here's my perspective. There are Christians everywhere. There are even Christians in Catholic churches. There are Christians who are in Mormon churches. There are Christians who are in, you know, Reformed churches. You say, wait a second, how can that be? If if doctrine says this and Catholicism isn't Christianity. Yes, correct. Catholicism is not biblical Christianity. But what do you expect babies to know? What? Like, honestly, let's let's be straight up. What do you expect babies to know? Let's be straight up. You have a beautiful, beautiful baby who depends on mom and dad. And rightfully so. It's mom and dad. 
But the baby doesn't know that mom and dad are straight up Bonnie and Clyde. They're murderers. They kill for a living. Baby doesn't know that. But baby has a reliance on mom and dad, but baby just doesn't know. But when you know, you say you love Jesus Christ, and if you're listening, and you're in a Mormon church, you're listening, and you're in a Catholic church, you're listening, and you're in the Reformed church. If you love Jesus Christ, then something needs to happen. Come out of her. Just like the Bonnie and Clyde situation. Baby starts to grow up. Baby starts to learn to walk. Baby learns to read and write. Baby's not a baby anymore. Understands dialecta. Knows how to talk. Knows how to engage in conversation. Reads the newspaper. And sees, oh my goodness, mom and dad robbed the bank. They killed 20 people. Oh my goodness, mom and dad robbed the bank. They killed 30 people. Oh my goodness, there's a trail a trail of destruction with mom and dad. And I was a baby and they, you know, I could rely on them. And they fed me and rightfully so. I was a baby and, you know. But baby needs to go to mom and dad and say, Hey, mom and dad, you can do whatever it is that you see fit for your life. You're going to break my heart. I don't like it. But as for me, mom and dad, pull over, let me out. I'm coming out of this car. I'm not going to be a partaker of your shenanigans. I'm not going to be a partaker of your bloodbath. I'm not going to be a partaker of your, you know, your robbing banks, committing crimes, doing this criminal activity. I'm not going to be a part of it. So I'm coming out. If you're Catholic, if you're Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, Reformed Theology, Calvinist, it's the same exact thing. And I say unto you, come out of her, my people. You see? Come out of her, my people. Jump ship and welcome aboard. Let's look at verse 16. But shun, which is to keep away from, shun profane and idle babblings, which is wicked and fruitless discussion. For they will increase to more ungodliness or to more irreverence and wickedness. Now, as if solitude wasn't enough. I mean, if you're a full package pastor, full package teacher, if you're the full package, you're not Mr. Popular. You expect solitude. But if solitude wasn't enough, there's even more solitude. Because on the topic of fruitless discussion, Paul says, shun it. Keep away from it. Wicked discussion, 
shun it, keep away from it. Remember, among believers, that's one thing. I mean, if we were looking at the pews and the field and the building, that's one thing. You know, absolutely, you know, we are not to be partakers. Christians are not to be partakers of those things. You know, separate. There's a separation, just like we see in Corinth. Of course, applying grace and mercy, understanding babies and adults and the risk of being on milk and long-term milk drinkers, dangerous. We're getting into leaven territory, but... It's even worse among pastors and teachers. For me personally, when I'm in Christian circles, very often I'll just keep quiet when I'm in Christian circles, which sounds weird. I know it might sound weird. It's the same, probably even more so with ministry leaders. Because the majority, the majority of conversation among men, it's perverse. It's fruitless discussion, wicked discussion. To be with a group of men, pastors, I mean, I, I've been in locker rooms before. I know what locker room jargon sounds like. And to my shame, I've partook of those things in my BC days before Christ. But to be with a group of men, pastors, elders, ministry leaders, works just the same as locker room talk. Wicked discussion. Fruitless discussion. Majority of time, I'll just keep quiet. Now, some of my ads, you know, what do you think about this? I mean, I I don't like, you know, go out of my way to be in these circles, but with the ministry leaders. But there have been times where I've been in certain environments where I did have this surrounding of ministry leaders and Most of the time, I'll just keep to myself. Sometimes the question is posed, well, what do you think about this? Okay. Since you want to know, here we go. And Paul is saying to Timothy, keep away from this. The profane and idle babblings, the wicked and fruitless discussion, shun it, keep away from it. Well, it's like, well, wait a second. How does Timothy then, Paul, how does Timothy engage in this warfare if he's shunning profane, if he's keeping away from profane and idle babblings? How is it? The remnant. The remnant. The ones who love the Lord. The ones who fear the Lord. The ones who have a profound love. A profound love of the truth. The ones who are Bereans with a noble heart. 
they'll know. I'm with Timothy. They'll know. You see? They'll know. The Bereans, the ones with the noble heart. Remember, I say Bereans, the one with a a noble heart. But don't forget, you know, the the Bible says, you know, search the scriptures. And then Jesus, you know, Paul says, search the scriptures, or or, uh, the writer of uh, Acts, which is Dr. Luke, but, you know, the account of, in the bubble of Paul. But Dr. Luke says, you know, about the Bereans, they search the scriptures. Jesus says to the Pharisees, they search the scriptures. So wait a second, we have Bereans, and then we have Pharisees, and they both search the scriptures. For the Bereans, good. For the Pharisees, bad. But they're both searching the scriptures. What? How can this be? Well, the Bereans, they search the scriptures with a noble heart. Jesus says of the Pharisees, you search the scriptures for in them you think there is eternal life. Now, there is absolutely eternal life in the scriptures. But the question is, who understands the scriptures? That's that's number one. Number two, who is it that will yield themselves to the scriptures? You see, not the Pharisees, the Bereans with a noble heart. You see? Even when it hurts. You see? Even when it hurts. You can have preconceived notions about whatever. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, anything in life. You can have preconceived notions about anything. But once the Bible... Once you come to the point in the Word of God that teaches contrary to to your preconceived notions, the Pharisee will say of the Bible, that's nice. I'm going to stick to my preconceived notions. The Berean will repent and say, Lord, forgive me. I had these preconceived notions. I was wrong. Forgive me, Lord. And the Berean with a noble heart will align themselves to the word of God. Yielding to the Holy Spirit. And that's the difference. The Berean searches the scriptures. The the Pharisee searches the scriptures. They both search the scriptures. But Jesus says of the Pharisees, in the scriptures, you think there is eternal life. Because Jesus knows the heart. He knows that they search the scriptures, you know, for their own, with their own carnal passions, their own carnal reasons. Remember, they were trying to trick Jesus. They used the, their legal analysts. They tried to trap him. Yeah, they searched the scriptures, but not to yield to it. Not to the yield to the word of God. Not to yield to Torah. Not to yield to Moses, which testifies of Christ. You see? No noble heart.
And the Bereans know. So you take Timothy. Say we fast forward a little bit into the future. We get in a time machine, we go back in time. But then not all the way back in time. We're a little bit into the future where Paul, we're in the, we see Timothy and we meet Timothy and we love Timothy. Not so little. You say, man, you've been saying he's been little Timmy this whole time, but man, he's a big guy. So, okay, big Timmy. So we meet Timmy. We find out that Paul has been beheaded. And we're devastated. It breaks our heart because we love Paul. And now, Timothy has his bubble. He has his bubble of saints, the larger bubble. But then he has a medium bubble, ministry leader. But then he has a tiny bubble, which teachers, those who are able to teach. Um, you know, like in verse 2, faithful men able to teach. In verse 14, to remind them. Remind them of certain things. You see, Timothy's taken the baton from Paul. The next generation of leadership. And he's training the next generation of leadership. And Paul is giving these instructions in this letter. Paul has given Timothy these very specific blueprints on what to do and what not to do. And what to do with a reason for why to do it and how to do it. And Timothy's not going to argue about genealogies or certain days. But somebody says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Okay, it's on like Donkey Kong. I'm going to have words about it. You want to take saints of the Most High? You want to take Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, and you want to take them grave soaking? It's on. We're going to have words. You see, you want to teach that God is done with Israel? It's on. We're going to have words. And a lot of people, the majority, oh, Timothy, you're so stupid. Look, we're not supposed to strive about words to no profit. You're so dumb, Timothy. But the Bereans, the lovers of truth with a noble heart and when I say lovers of truth, I'm talking about the profound, profound lovers of truth. They will know. With Timothy, I am safe. With these other guys, no way. And that's what's so beautiful about these pastoral epistles. For pastors, for ministry leaders, for teachers but even more so for the saints, for the field. Because the field can know in this vast, enormous field, God's field. And remember, the wheat and the tares grow together until the harvest. The wheat and the tares grow together. I meant 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years, it looked like a field. It looked like the wheat field. But fast forward into today, fast forward to today, it's a mangy field. I meant the weeds, you know, they've grown. And the wheat and the tares, remember in the parable that Jesus gave where the servants come, you know, should should we take out the weeds? And the master says, no, leave them there. Because if you take out the weeds, you're going to uproot the wheat. Leave them there. 
We'll take care of them at the harvest, not now. The wheat and the tares grow together. 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years, that field looked like a field. Like, you know, wheat. Because the weeds were tiny. Not a lot. Today, in the last days, where, you know, we're not talking, you know, within 10 years, all the, 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 in, in, uh, 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 um, the saints in Asia have left Paul. The saints in Asia have left sound doctrine. We're talking 2,000 years, 2,000 years from that time, give or take a couple years. Think about how much more saints have left and abandoned sound doctrine. Think about the growth of those weeds in the field. And in this vast field, the harvest is plentiful. But Jesus says it's the workers that are few. Where are the workers? Where are the workers? You say, wait a second, there's workers everywhere. There's pastors on every corner. There's churches on every corner. The workers are everywhere. I'm not talking run of the mill. I'm talking hardcore. I'm not talking soldier. I'm talking warrior. You see? I'm not talking, you know, D-League. I'm talking like the athlete. The farmer. Full package. Where are these people? In this vast, vast, vast field of the Lord. You see? And Paul is saying to Timothy in verse 16, Keep away from the wicked and fruitless discussion. Profane and idle babblings, because for they will increase to more ungodliness. It's going to increase to more ungodliness. Keep away from it. It's almost like Paul is encouraging Timothy to be a loner. <laughs> it's like, well, wait a second, Paul. It's like, well, if he does all this, then Timothy's going to be alone. That's right. He's not going to be Mr. Popular. He's not going to have megachurch. The ones who will be with him love the Lord, fear the Lord. They're Bereans with a noble heart and they have a profound love of truth. You see? A profound love of truth. It's a remnant. I've had conversations with pastors before where they, you know, like big applications for church membership. You know, they ask, well, how do you do church membership? You know who does church membership? The Holy Spirit. I've asked pastors, but why why do you do church membership? I mean, you read the Bible, you don't see like applications and forms for church membership. And I've had pastors tell me, well, that's what I learned in seminary. That's what I learned in theology school. That's what I learned at, you know, in in Bible college. Just, you know, the five-page application. Like, are you applying for a job? So you're applying for a job. I mean, it's easier to, to, to apply for a job on Wall Street. 
And you have this big old application. You want to know, you know, what's the what's the job, what's the income, so you can make sure that you know they tithe ten percent and this and that. And then pastors, you know, they, they can have their uh, 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 they can project budget based on these applications. Well, you know, we budget that we're gonna based on these incomes and based on ten percent that you know we should we we're gonna budget for this and oh look, it's, it's for the for the ministry. We're doing it so that we can budget for the year. And we need to know this. We need to know that for proper accountability. We want the saints to be nice and accountable. Even pressing further, but where? Where is it that you see in the Bible applications? And the pastors respond. Well, I need to know who I am investing time into. Because my, my time is, you know, my time is very valuable. After all, I'm a pastor, you know, so my time is very valuable. So I need to know, like, who is it that is vested into this church so that I can be vested into them? The whole time, it's carnal. It's carnal. You know who establishes church membership? The Lord. The Holy Spirit. Because if you're a full package pastor, full package pastor, not not zero package, not package one, not package two, not package three, we're talking package four, the real deal, full package. And package upon package, like warrior, athlete, farmer. Number one, you're not going to be Mr. Popular. Number two, you're not going to have mega church. But the Holy Spirit will establish Membership in the church. And you know who membership will be? The remnant. The remnant. The faithful bride. The beautiful, 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 faithful bride. That will be your church. But that's rare. Very rare. According to prophecies. I'm not saying like that's rare, like it's impossible. I'm talking like it's rare, like according to prophecy. That's what the Bible says. It's rare. The wheat and the tares will grow together. The harvest is plentiful. It's the workers that are few. That's just exactly what the Bible says. You see? And Paul is saying to Timothy, keep away from these things, the wicked and fruitless discussion. Remember, this is pastor to pastor. And Paul is speaking about other pastors, other ministry letters, uh, ministry leaders. Remember in verse 14, remind them of these things. Remind them of these things. Not the same, not the, not the, the field. We're talking about workers. Remember verse two, people, faithful men who are able to teach. This is what senior Pastor Paul, who's about ready to die, telling to junior Pastor Timothy, yes, you have your larger bubble. Yes, you have the medium bubble, but we're talking tiny bubble. In this tiny bubble, not the next generation of righteousness. We're talking the next generation of leadership. The people who you are training as a pattern, pouring into the next generation of leadership. 
These are the things that you have to keep away from. You see? These are the things that you have to keep away from. Speaking of these, in, 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 in the profane and idle babblings in verse 16, says in verse 17, the wicked and fruitless discussions in verse 16, but in verse 17, and their message will spread like cancer. Will spread like cancer. You know what cancer does? It kills. Cancer kills. Translates in the Greek as gangrene. Gangrene, when it spreads, it also kills. You got to chop it off. Their message will spread like cancer, is what the Bible says. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the faith. These two teachers, Hymenaeus and Philetus, these two teachers, pastors, teachers, have strayed or deviated away from truth. That's what verse 18 says. Hymenaeus, Philetus are of this sort. Hymenaeus and Philetus, they're a cancer in the church. Be it pastor or teacher, some type of teaching capacity. Pastor, elder, me personally, it's probably pastor. And Paul is saying to Timothy, Hymenaeus and Philetus, they're a cancer. I mean, do you know how many Christians will hate you if you stay, if you, if you say, hey, the study Bible guy who says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. He's a cancer. You know how many people will hate you? If you say, hey, the grave soaker guy, mega church, he's a cancer. You know how many people will hate you? If you say, hey, this coalition, replacement theology, they're a cancer. You know how many people will hate you? Christians. The world is the world. The world will hate you. But Christians, they will hate you. They will, you know, don't hang out with that guy. He's so stupid. Look, he's so mean. And he says this. He's so dumb, and look, God is love. We're supposed to love. So what if this guy wants to take us grave soaking? So what if this guy wants to take the mark of the beast and tells Christians he wants us to take the mark of the beast? One guy wants to take us to the grave. The other guy wants to take us to hell. You see? This guy says God is done with Israel. So what? God is love. Look, the Bible says not to strive about words to no profit. Look, he's, he's talking nonsense. But Bereans who love the truth with a noble heart, who love the Lord, who fear the Lord, who have a profound love of truth. Remember Onesiphorus from last week? Onesiphorus? He wasn't ashamed of Paul. He wasn't ashamed of Paul's chains. You can say what you want about Paul. Show me where he's wrong. You hate Paul? That's nice. Show me where is he wrong? Where is he wrong? Show me. You see? A little stubbornness, yes, but the beautiful kind. And Paul is saying in verse 17, Hymenaeus and Philetus, they're a cancer in the church. 
probably pastors, could be elders, teachers, probably pastors. Hymenaeus and Philetus, they're a cancer, Timothy. That's what I'm talking about. You want an example, Timothy? When I say keep away from profane and idle babblings, wicked and fruitless discussions, because these discussions will lead and increase to more ungodliness, irreverence, and wickedness. Hymenaeus and Philetus. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Their, their discussion, it's wicked and fruitless. And they, Hymenaeus, Pastor Hymenaeus, Pastor Philetus, they're a cancer, Timothy. Remember, this is a one-on-one letter. This is a one-on-one letter. I wonder the church that Hymenaeus was the pastor of, Philetus was the pastor of, I wonder what they would say to Paul. Oh, Paul, we're submitting ourselves to Pastor Hymenaeus. Oh, Paul, we're submitting ourselves to Pastor Philetus. Look, they're men of God. The guy's on his third marriage. His previous wives are still alive. You know, you look at the fruit. When you know formula, knowing the formula, it's to help you so you know who to submit to. Because Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, submit themselves to the likes of Hymenaeus and Philetus. But they do so in error. They believe in Jesus, but they obey him not. Hymenaeus and Philetus, they stand at the pulpit, but they are biblically disqualified. Not package four, not package three, not package two, not package one, zero. Losers at the pulpit. Cancer in the church. Their message, what they teach, their message is spreading and it's like cancer. You see? Christians submitting themselves to Hymenaeus and Philetus They're in trouble. They're in trouble. They need to know the saints of the the saints who are submitting themselves to Hymenaeus and Philetus. They need to know, come out of her, my people, because it's dangerous for them. Hymenaeus and Philetus, they at one point were in the truth. But remember Acts 20, where shepherds can become wolves? Look at verse 18, who have strayed concerning the truth. They were once in truth, but they strayed. And in that state of being astray, they disqualified themselves. Now, how did they stray? Multiple reasons. When you understand formula, multiple reasons. When you understand that Satan is a fisherman too, multiple reasons. But it happened. And when you understand formula, you know, wow, I can't be with Pastor Jimenez because he's crazy. I can't be, I can't submit myself to Pastor Jimenez because he's crazy. 
I can't submit myself to Pastor Philetus because he's crazy. You see? Loyalty is to Jesus Christ. I'm going to leave Jimenez's church and I'm going to go to Timothy's church. Timothy's on the other side of town. That's nice. Timothy's on the Look, Jimenez is just nice and close. I'm going to go to Jimenez's church. Look, convenience of the flesh for hell? Oh, I just want convenience of the flesh. I just want a little five-minute walk to church. You see? No convenience of flesh. We don't walk according to the flesh. Okay, so I'll walk on the other side of town. It's like I'm going to walk an hour. I'm going to walk two hours. I'm going to go where Timothy teaches. I'm going to submit myself to Timothy. Because he's the real deal. You see? People hate him. People say he's crazy. But why do they say that? You see, when you understand formula, it's like, wow. You know what? I'm going to go on the other side of town. I'm going to go two towns over. I'm going to go three towns over. I don't care how long it takes. But I'm going to submit myself to Timothy. You see? And Paul knows. Paul knows Hymenaeus has strayed concerning the, the truth. Philetus, he has strayed concerning the truth. You know what's interesting? He's telling Timothy. Now, Timothy might have a hunch. But you see a little bit of infancy in Timothy. A little bit of pastoral infancy in Timothy. Because Paul is telling him, no, you might have had a, had a hunch about him and this. You might have had a hunch about Philetus, but I'm telling you, they've strayed concerning the truth. And their message, what they teach, is straight up cancer. You speak about study Bible guy who says, take the mark of the beast, he'll still be saved. And you say, hey, he's a cancer. The vast, vast, vast majority of Christians today will hate you. They'll hate you. Now, if you're listening, like, what are you talking about? Go to thewayunderground.com and find the, the, you know, links to the Mark of the Beast and, you know, there's a little message there. Listen, you'll know, you'll understand. Pastors today are starting to teach, go ahead and take the Mark of the Beast. You'll still be saved. You can hear it. Saints that submit themselves to Hymenaeus and Philetus, they're in trouble. Because Hymenaeus and Philetus, they've turned into wolves. They used to be shepherds. They used to be in truth, but not anymore. The saints of Hymenaeus and Philetus are not only in trouble, they need to come out of her, my people. They need to jump ship from Hymenaeus, the ship of Hymenaeus, the ship of Philetus, and they need to jump into the ship of Timothy. You see? And they were saying in verse 18 of Hymenaeus and Philetus, 
who are, you know, like a cancer, and saying that the resurrection is already past. That's what they taught. The resurrection is already past. That's what they taught. You see, pastors today strive for unity at any and all costs. They strive for unity at any and at any and all costs. Which sounds good. It sounds nice. It sounds nice and flowery. It sounds nice and peaceful because the Bible says we're, you know, as as depends on us to be a, a, a peaceable people, to live peaceably. And it sounds nice, you know, unity, unity, unity. People write books. Unity, unity, unity. Crazy love. They write their books. Well, the Bible says we're not supposed to quarrel. Oh, so what if this guy's a grave soaker? That's not essential. So what if this guy says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved? That's not essential. What? That's not, these aren't small things. We're not talking about, you know, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We're not talking about genealogies. This person begets this, begets this, begets this. We're not talking about that. We're talking about eternal consequences for certain beliefs. Because a pastor says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. And then Christians take the mark of the beast. It's not hello paradise. It's hello like a fire. You see? And this doctrine of Hymenaeus and Philetus, the resurrection is already passed. And by teaching this message that's spreading like cancer, and these pastors who have strayed concerning the truth, the truth, the truth. Look what he says in verse 18. And they overthrow the faith of some. That's Hymenaeus. That's Pastor Hymenaeus, Pastor Philetus. Seemingly workers. They speak at the pulpit. They got the pastor parking spot. They got the plaques on the wall. College of this, seminary this, you know, degree in this, master's in this, doctorate of theology, honorary doctorate. They got the, you know, the the name tag that says on their chest, it says pastor, senior pastor, senior pastor Hymenaeus, senior pastor Philetus. You have Christians in the pews. Paul says, these guys are cancer. Submission to these men will have a devastating result. You see? A devastating result. Because remember, only the clean can clean. New wine only flows from new wineskin. Hymenaeus and Fletus, they don't got the goods. And as a result, they overthrow the faith of some. Faith that is overthrown and destroyed. You see? And so we see this in verse 19. You see what's so beautiful about these pastoral epistles? 
Because you might think, well, I'm never going to be a pastor, so you know what? I don't need to study these pastoral epistles. I don't need to study Timothy, Titus. I don't need to study. But when you understand formula, it's like, wow, I cannot. In, in submitting to this guy, in submitting to that guy, in submitting to that lady, they might call themselves pastors. They might be acknowledged as pastors. But if I submit myself to these guys, I am disobedient to the head pastor, Jesus Christ. You see? And that's what's so beautiful about these pastoral epistles so that we can know with this guy, it is safe to submit. With this guy, not safe. With this guy, not safe. With this guy, not safe. But with this guy, these other people, they got mega churches. They got hundreds of people, thousands of people. Look, my kids, they got friends. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. And oh, look, they got all these friends. And look, I got, I can meet these people. And we're going to have friends. We're going to have nice fellowship. And But then you look at, there's this other church and there's, you know, not a lot of people there. Parking lot looks pretty empty. But with him, it is safe. Verse 19, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Remember? Remember our introduction in the pastoral epistles? The introduction to the pastoral epistles or about the pastoral epistles. And we gave the example of, you know, the the church trip that we take to Dubai, I think it was. You know, with multiple floors in a building. And certain buildings have the same amount of floors, but the foundation, the foundation is amok. The foundation is wrong. The foundation is on sand. The foundation is unstable. But it's a big, beautiful building. How could this be a bad thing? How can it be an ugly thing? The bigger the building, the taller the building, the greater the fall. But when the foundation is solid, when the foundation is right, that building will never fall. Nevertheless, in verse 19, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal or a stamp or mark having this seal. In verse 19, the Lord knows those who are his. I love that verse. The Lord knows those who are his. Because in studying these pastoral epistles, we know who it is safe to submit to. You have churches, a lot of people look at the advantages for this church. Well, you know, my kids can be with these kids and, you know, they got the, you know, high school kids and they can, you know, have nice fellowship. I I want my sons and daughters to have nice fellowship with people of their age. And, you know, look, I I can meet with these people and this and that. We're going to have nice fellowship and then, but let's, let's forget the pews. Is the pastor qualified? Does he meet the qualifiers? 
Knowing that new wine flows from new wine skin and only the clean can clean. Knowing that. Look at the sanctuary and the fruit therein. And when you find that, when you have that, you're not going to have megachurch. You're not going to find a lot of families. You're not going to find like, you know, thousands of kids. But what you will find is truth. Knowing that the Lord knows those who are his. Look at Paul. He's in prison, about to be beheaded. The saints in Asia have left him. Pastors are leaving him. I mean, praise the Lord that this letter got leaked. First and second, the pastoral epistles, one-on-one letter. But praise the Lord when this letter got leaked. I don't know, like, you know, precisely when it got leaked. There's certain ideas of when it got leaked. But put yourself in the church of Hymenaeus and Philetus for a moment. And somebody runs in. You're not going to believe this, everybody. But Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. You know that Timothy guy who thinks he knows everything? You know that Paul guy who thinks he knows everything and he's in prison? Look what he wrote of our senior pastor. Look what he wrote of senior pastor Hymenaeus. Look what he wrote of Philetus. He says they're like cancer. Oh, he's not of the Lord. He's not of the Lord. Look, the saints in Asia, they left him. They know what's up. Good. I'm glad they left him. Because now they can't be influenced by this rebel rouser. Now they can't be influenced by this guy who's rightfully in prison. Timothy? Eh. He's just a young guy. He's just a young kid. He doesn't know what he's talking about. You see? And Paul, in prison, saints are leaving him, pastors are leaving him, his influence is dwindling, and he says to Timothy, the Lord knows those who are his. It's a mark, it's a seal. We look at other letters, we know about the stamp and the mark of the Holy Spirit upon the saints. Very specific formula, which isn't hard. I mean, it's really quite easy. It's just a matter of we need to understand. It's really easy. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, you see, it's not hard. We just need to understand it. That's it. It's not hard at all. With understanding, it's like, okay, ball's in our court. Now we have to respond individually. Ball's in your court, ball's in my court. Now we have to respond. Now we have to respond. Do we obey or do we disobey? Oh, but I like Pastor Jimenez. Look, my kids have this. My, my, my high schoolers, my junior high kids, they, they can have other friends. I like Jimenez. I like Philetus. Look, I go to church. I don't feel bad. 
I don't feel like a dirtbag. Look, I can do my sex. I can do my drugs. I can do my alcohol. I can do my gambling. And I go to church with Pastor Philetus. I go to church with Pastor Jimenez. And I feel good. But then, you know, I visited Timothy's church. And oh my goodness, I feel like a dirtbag. I feel like, man. But boy, I really like that crack. I really like that alcohol. I like the Buddha. I like the sex. I like the alcohol. I got my Ouija boards. And I go to, I go to Timothy and like, man, I, I feel like I'm unclean. But I go to Philetus, I go to Jimenez and I feel like I'm clean. You see, they tickle my ears. I feel good about myself. Nice, nice little pep talk. Nice little pep rally. My, I got a boost on my self-esteem. You see? Timothy kept saying I had to repent, repent. And, you know, he kept saying, you know, uh, commit your life to Christ. And he kept saying this and eh. I'm not down with that. You see what's happening? The Lord knows those who are his. He says in verse 19, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. See, God has his seal, his mark and his seal. But you know what? Satan has his mark too. Satan has his mark too. God knows those who are his. And Satan has his mark. Those who are his. And you have pastors in pulpits today. Eh, no big deal. Go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. You see? Behold the last days. Remember, this is one-on-one. Pastor Paul to Pastor Timothy. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. He's saying to Timothy, Timothy, you're going to come across all kinds of situations. You're going to come across all kinds of works of the flesh. And everybody who names the name of Christ, this is the way. This is the way. When they name the name of Christ, there is a departure away from iniquity. And Timothy, you need to teach them this is what iniquity is. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. This is what God likes. This is what God dislikes. Now, Balls in your court. When this applies to you, what God doesn't like, you need to repent and depart from iniquity so that you're nice and clean before the Lord. You're pure before the Lord. You see? Now, the the wicked, the lovers of darkness, more than the light, they're not going to like it. They're going to like Pastor Himenaeus and Pastor Philetus. But they're cancer. These pastors have strayed concerning the truth. And the Lord knows those who are His. You see? It's very important. 
I mean, if you're a pastor, if you're a teacher, you will not be popular. You will be hated. You will be alone. And depending on where you are in the world, and, you know, in time too, because, I mean, it's going to get worse and worse and worse, you're going to be in the crosshairs. Satan will want you dead. Satan's a fisherman too. And if Satan can't come after you, all of a sudden, he'll go to the saints. He's a fisherman. Look at what he... Look at the saints in Asia, in Asia who left Paul. Satan is a fisherman. Seducing. You see? Look at Demas, who was in the bubble of Paul. And Demas left him. Bright lights, big city. Satan's a fisherman. If you're a pastor, teacher... Expect that. Expect that. Expect Christians. It sounds terrible to say expect them to leave. It sounds terrible. But understand this present dispensation. That in the last days there is an apostasy that is upon us. There's always a remnant in every age. There's always a remnant. But you have to understand that in this apostasy, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. I mean, Jesus Christ says, according to prophecy, when his disciples, when the disciples, believers in him, Christians, they ask him, what is the sign of your coming? And he starts to indicate all these signs. Jesus Christ, the head pastor, king of kings, lord of lords. He says, no Flesh will be saved. Even the elect. Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High, says, No flesh will be saved, even the elect, unless, unless those days be shortened. Now, that's what we're moving forward to. We're moving forward to a time where no flesh would be saved, even the elect. That means that the church will have dwindling numbers. Dwindling numbers. You see? You say, wait a second, that sounds terrible. Yeah, I know. It is. The Bible says perilous times for a reason. It will be perilous. And it is perilous. And it's going to get worse. Nevertheless, it is written, Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, in verse 20, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, therefore, in verse 21, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, which is dishonor. So let's put this in perspective. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, from dishonor. Now, 
people today say, oh, we take no part in our sanctification. We take no part of sanctification. I believe in the finished work of Christ. Okay, I get that. But remember the shower example. You're not the soap. You're not the shampoo. You're not the water. But you still got to get in the shower. You see? You're not the soap. You're not the shampoo. You're not the water. But you still got to get in the shower. In light of that, let's read verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter. You see, from dishonor. Because Christians today, under certain pastors, oh, I believe in the finished work of the cross. Well, I believe in the work of the cross. But Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of our faith, which means he's not done. You and me, we have to yield to him. Continually, every day, <clears throat> look at Jimenez and Philetus. They were in truth, but in verse 18, in verse 17 and 18, we see of Jimenez and Philetus, who are a cancer in verse 17, in verse 18, they've strayed concerning the truth. You see, they became apostate. And only the clean can clean. New wine only flows from new wineskin. And once a teacher or pastor becomes apostate, you're not going to get new wine. You cannot be purified from the apostate. You cannot. And if we're moving forward, as Jesus says, to a time where no flesh would be saved, even the elect unless those days be shortened. I mean, take a population today. I'm just, for example, say population, say say the population is a thousand Christians, but there's a thousand Christians. I know there's more, but I'm saying just for example, say today, all the Christians are in a warehouse and the warehouse, there's a thousand Christians. And that's today. Now, when the disciples asked Jesus Christ, who became apostles later, but when they were disciples, they asked of Jesus Christ, what is the sign of the last days and the sign of your coming? Tell us, when will these things be? And then Jesus Christ starts to explain, this is what you're going to see, little blueprints, like you're going to see this, 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 this. And it gets towards the end. And he says, No flesh will be saved, even the elect, unless those days be shortened. So we take our warehouse now. A thousand Christians, and say that's all the Christians, just this example. And say, for example, the return of Jesus Christ is going to be 10 years from today. Just in this example, just 10 years from today. That means that that warehouse will not house a thousand. That as we get closer to year 10, we're going to get closer 
to zero. Because no flesh will be saved, even the elect. That's what Jesus says. So we're, we go from a thousand to zero in that 10 year window. But then Jesus says, unless those days be shortened. So now instead of year 10, we're going to go year nine because the days have been shortened. We're going to go year nine. Now we're not going to have zero. We're not going to have a thousand, but we might have 20. We might have 30. You see, regardless of the number, we will have a remnant. You see, that's prophecy. It is prophesied. It is written. It will come to pass. It is happening already. It will come to pass. And Paul is saying... In verse 20 and 21, in verse 20, when he says, you know, in in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Speaking about the dishonor, he says in verse 21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, that's the dishonor. I mean, just like we see in verse 19, anyone, everyone who names the name of Christ Depart from iniquity. How do we depart from iniquity? Well, spiritually speaking, jump in the shower. Jump in the shower. Cleanse yourself. Oh, but we can't take part in sanctification. Look, you're not the soap. You're not the shampoo. You're not the water. But jump in the shower, spiritually speaking. You see? Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, in verse 21... He will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. You see, that's what vessels of honor do. Vessels of honor take showers, spiritually speaking. Not the soap, not the shampoo, not the water. Vessels of dishonor. Do not bathe. You see? They do not bathe. And in so doing, they are not a sweet aroma. <clears throat> That's, we get into doctrinal matter, matters. That's a big problem with the once saved, always saved crowd, which a high concentration is with Calvinist and Reformed theology, which is, they call it Reformed theology, but it's really a theory. That's a major problem with the doctrine and teachings of once saved, always saved. Because why do I have to jump in the shower? If I took a shower when I was 10 years old, why do I have to take a shower? Why do I have to clean if I'm already clean? Because I believe in the finished work of the cross. We take no part in sanctification. You see how the doctrine twists the scriptures? But vessels of honor, vessels of honor, biblically, vessels of honor, who are sanctified and useful for the masters, vessels of honor, take spiritual showers. A sweet aroma unto the Lord. Vessels of dishonor do not do that. 
and they stink. They stink. The fruit stinks. You can smell it. Spiritually speaking, you can smell it. It's nasty. The works of the flesh. Not a sweet aroma. In verse 22, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue. So run away from the youthful lusts, but pursue, run toward righteousness, faith, love. Remember the greatest gift, love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart or a clean heart. You see, this is the remnant with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Remember we talked about church membership? Get the five-page application, 10-page application. You got to do job history, you know, income. Pastors who want to make projections on their, you know, accounts receivables and they want to budget for ministry purposes. All these things. But the biblical formula the Holy Spirit establishes church membership. Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you're not going to be Mr. Popular. You're not going to be Mr. Popular. You're not going to have mega church. You're not going to be Mr. Popular like, you know, Hymenaeus. You're not going to be Mr. Popular like Philetus. You're going to be hated, Timothy. And just like me, saints will leave you, Timothy. And just like me, you might end up in prison, Timothy. And just like me, Timothy, you might be killed for the name of Jesus Christ. Hymenaeus, Philetus, they get the megachurch. They're a cancer. They're a ca- they call you a cancer. But they're the cancer. Because they don't have truth. And not having truth, they strayed from the truth. And not having truth, they overthrow the faith of saints that are in their churches. They got the mega church. They got the tithes, they got the offerings. They make a lot of money. But they're cancer. The remnant, Timothy. They're going to know, only the remnant will know. That Jimenez and Philetus, they're freak shows. Only the remnant, those who love the Lord, those who fear the Lord, those who have a profound love of the truth, even when it hurts. They're Bereans with a noble heart. They're the only ones that will know that Jimenez and Philetus are dangerous. Only the remnant will know not to submit themselves to Hymenaeus or Philetus, the cancers. And only the remnant will know that they can submit themselves to you, Timothy. You see? And as you flee away from youthful lusts in verse 22, verse 22, and you run toward righteousness, faith, love, peace, you're not going to be alone. The megachurch, they do their thing. But the remnant that's with you, you're partaker together. 
with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, a clean heart. These are the bathers, the ones who take showers. This is the remnant. You see? You see how powerful this is? The remnant. We, in verse 22, I mean, like building up to this moment, but in verse 22, we have a picture of the remnant body. Crazy town abounds with Hymenaeus, Philetus, and the like. But with little Timmy, it is safe. We see in verse 23, in closing, <clears throat> but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. This is disputes, questions, and plots. Knowing that they generate strife or controversy and contention. Now, I'll say this. There are times, if you're a pastor or elder, I mean, even deacon too, which deacons can be female. Pastor, elder, male. Deacon, male or female. But there are times when people want counsel. But they really don't want counsel. They really don't want counsel. They make the appearance like they want counsel, but they don't. What they really want is your blessing for their decision. You see? They've made their decision. They've made their choice already. They give the appearance like they're seeking counsel, but they made their decision already. And they want your blessing. Now, if you're a pastor, if you're elder, you can't force anybody to do anything. You teach and shepherd according to the holy formula as outlined in the word of God. I mean, if Paul, if he were choreographing ministry, not to suggest that he was, but if he were, do you think prison and beheading would be included? I mean, if, if Paul were doing you know, coordinating things, if Paul were, was, was doing uh, choreography to ministry, Do you think prison would be in play? Do you think beheading would be in play? He's teaching. He's pouring. But it's only the remnant that knows, that heeds. It's only the remnant. The remnant has a specific formula. Very specific formula for pastors and teachers and elders, ministry leaders, deacons. Very specific. And there's a specific formula to the remnant. The remnant body of believers. But even within the remnant body of believers, the field and the worker together, just like that warehouse with a thousand people, where, you know, in 10 years, we know it's going to be zero. And a thousand people today in 10 years, it's going to be zero. But then the Lord says those days are going to be shortened. So the days are shortened. So now we're nine years. Now, 
We're not going to be at a thousand. We're not going to be at zero. But we're moving forward to dwindling numbers. You see? And a lot of times, Christians, if you're a pastor, will seek counsel from you, but they've already made their decision. And they just want your blessing on a decision that is carnal. And you have to understand, like, you can't do that. If you're a pastor, you can't do that. Saints who attempt to manipulate pastors. I mean, I've spoken to pastors before. <clears throat> and pastors say, oh, this is, this is what we teach and this is how it's going to be. And oh, yeah, this is my stance on this and that's how it's going to be. And then a couple weeks go by. And, you know, a guy says, oh, you know what? I don't like how the pastors, I don't like this position that the pastor has. And you know what? I tithe over $100,000 a year here. And so, you know what? I'm going to have a meeting with the pastor. And then a couple weeks from that moment, all of a sudden, the pastor changes his mind. All of a sudden, the pastor has a change of heart. Well, you know, the the, the Lord is directing me to, to do this and we're going to implement this. We're going to implement that. And the, the Lord is, you know, the Lord is directing this way. And people think like, wow, look, he's, he's really following the Lord. Look, the Lord is directing. Oh, surely the Lord is with him. And look, the Lord is directing him like this. The Lord is directing him. Oh, how beautiful that we have a pastor who's so sensitive to the leading of the Lord and the moving of the spirit. Rubbish. You know what happened? The pastor didn't want to lose that hundred thousand dollars. He was serving his wallet. You see, his God is his belly. You know what the Bible calls them? Hirelings. They don't care about the sheep. They're there for the money. You see? Pastors, you have to be wise. Don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. I mean, when we look at the biblical qualifiers for pastoral leadership, Stupidity is not included. That's not one of the criteria. You see? So don't be stupid. Don't be an idiot. Now, I know that sounds harsh to say it that way, but I'm just saying it like Paul. That's the Greek. The Greek is idiotes. Don't be idiotes. That's what Paul says. If you're a pastor, idiotes is not part of the biblical qualifiers. So in light of that, what does that say to us? Do not be idiotes. And so we see here in verse 23, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes or disputes, questions, and plots, knowing that they generate strife or controversy and contention. And a servant of the Lord <clears throat> must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, which is to be gentle translates as to be kind, affable, approachable, pleasant to speak to. Now, remember, the world, leaven, the cancer, the gangrene like Hymenaeus and Philetus, the leaven like, you know, what we see in Corinthians, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the extortion, the works of the flesh. They have something to say against Paul. But that's the world. That's the leaven. That's the gangrene. Understand that when Levin speaks, understand who's speaking. 
It's leaven. When cancer speaks, understand who's speaking. It's cancer. When the wolf speaks, understand who's speaking. It's the wolf. Because we look at verse 24, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. But the extortioner, oh, Paul's not gentle. Paul's not gentle. Look, he he said that Christians can't hang out with me, not even to eat with me. The sex guy, the sex lady, Paul's not gentle at all. Look, he told me not to fellowship here anymore. He told me that this Christians can't hang out with me anymore. He's not gentle. In fact, he's mean. He's lost his mind. The alcoholic, the extortioner, the the Buddha worshiper, the Ouija board guy. You see, Paul's not gentle at all. But the remnant, those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart and clean heart, they know. Paul's actually quite gentle. He's actually quite gentle. I mean, you're pure before the Lord, Paul is gentle. You're impure before the Lord, eh, Paul turns up the heat a little bit. Paul turns up the notch a little bit. You see? It depends on the subject. I don't mean subject like topic. I mean subject as in person. I mean, you take... Chloe, you know how gentle Paul is with Chloe? You know how gentle Paul is with Chloe? That's beautiful fellowship. No funny business. That's beautiful fellowship with warriors, Paul and Chloe. But you take Paul and uh, the guy who's having sex with his dad's wife, you take, you throw the lady in there too. It takes two to tango. He's not so gentle with them. He has to turn it up a couple notches. Why? Because they're not pure before the Lord. They're not clean before the Lord. Now, it's not to say, as leaven, it's not to say that leaven can be clean again, but the ball's in their court. They have to get right with the Lord. Outside the camp, you see, just like leprosy in the Old Testament, just like leprosy outside the camp. They get right with the Lord. Okay, bring them back in. So with Chloe, you see how gentle Paul is? With the sex, not so gentle. You see? Now, you take Hymenaeus and Philetus. Now we're getting into wolf territory. Not so gentle, not gentle at all. I mean, they're cancer. You see, and people are submitting themselves to the cancer and their faith is being overthrown, which means if they've made the choice, they want to go. They've opened the door to hell. And if people follow them, hello, like a fire. You see. Because if you're a pastor, if you're a teacher, remember in verse 15, highlight to God. Present yourself approved to God, not approved to man. The leaven, they're going to speak against you. The cancer, the 
gangrene. They're going to speak against you. The wolf, they will speak against you. But don't be discouraged. It's just the opposite. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Rejoice because you're counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, you're so stupid. You're so dumb. You're such a legalist. You're so dumb. You want to hang out with that guy? That guy's your pastor? You're so stupid. You're a pastor and you teach like this? Oh, look, I'm with the mega church. Look, we have the fruit of the Lord. We, we got thousands and thousands of people. You think you have the fruit of the Lord? Look, you just have 15 people in your church. You just have 10 people in your, in your church. When leaven speaks, understand that leaven is speaking. When wolves speak, understand that wolves are speaking. Because people can say, well, look at the Bible says you're supposed to be gentle to all. As it says in verse 24, you must not quarrel, must be gentle with all. But Paul himself, he's a hypocrite. Because he says don't quarrel and be gentle. But look what he says. He calls this guy cancer. Paul says be gentle. But look, he says, you know, he, he he's divided the church. He's broken up the church. You see? Remember? Onesiphorus from last week? He wasn't ashamed of Paul. He wasn't ashamed of Paul's chains. Because he's a remnant. And he sees, he knows, he understands formula. How is, show me where Paul is wrong. I mean, put yourself in Onesiphorus, his sandals. Put yourself in his sandals. Where People are telling him, oh, you're so stupid. You believe Paul? Look, we're, we're, the, the, we're the, the church in Asia and we've left Paul. He's so dumb. Look, I'm so glad he's in prison. He's so mean. What? How, why am I in the wrong? You tell me why. Where did Paul go wrong? Where did he go wrong? Well, he says that this lady who does the sex and stuff and she doesn't, she can't be in the church anymore. Is she a new believer? No, 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 she's been in the church for five years. You know, they were under this pastor and Paul says, don't hang out with her anymore. That's mean. That's not gentle. That's mean-spirited because God is love and we're supposed to be loving. That's like, wait a Put yourself in Onesiphorus' sandals. That's not wrong. Because I could go to church. I have my daughter. And if my daughter wants to grow in her faith and bear burdens, then... I don't want her bearing the burdens of this lady who's sexually active with this guy and 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 this guy. And I don't want my daughter to be influenced by her. So now the congregation now without this, without the leaven present, now I can joyfully tell my daughter to bear the burdens of these saints. Because she's not going to be influenced by the sex. And my son, he's not going to be influenced by this other guy who does his spoons. He cooks spoons. He does his lines on the weekends. He's not going to, I want my children to grow in Christ. And I want them the, the, the fruit of the Spirit to grow inside of them as the Lord gives. I want them to learn the, the goodness of the Lord. And I want them to partake of these beautiful things in the love feast and that cannot happen when the leaven is present. And Paul is just obedient to the Lord. You say he's not gentle, but he's very gentle to me. 
He's very gentle to my son. He's very gentle to my daughter. Because proof is in the pudding. We're not doing the sex, the Buddha, the gambling, the Mary. We're not, we're not doing the occult. We're not doing those things. He's very gentle. But to the sex, to the extortion, to the alcohol, to the Buddha, to the gambling, eh, he's not so gentle. He's not so gentle. A little harsh. A little harsh. You see? But he has to be. He's a shepherd. He's a pastor. To the wolf, he's deadly. He kills wolves, spiritually speaking. I mean, a wolf could say, oh, look, he's not gentle because the wolf's about to get killed, metaphysically speaking, you see. Oh, Paul's so mean. Look, he killed this wolf over here and he's about to kill me. That's not gentle. You're right. It's not gentle, but you're a wolf. You see, we have to understand formula. And Paul, in, in speaking to Timothy, or writing to Timothy, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Now, in humility, this word for correcting, it's to chasten and punish in discipline, to educate, instruct, teach, and train. And these are things that a shepherd does. These are things that a pastor does. But it's not outside of humility. It's within the confines of humility. It is not a prideful thing. You see, Paul's not taking it. Uh, it's my way or the highway approach. That's prideful. He's taking an approach that says, this is the way that is of the Lord. These are his blueprints. These are his instructions. And in obedience to this calling that the Lord, remember, remember our statement, the Lord put me here. Remember in First Timothy, the Lord put me here. This is what the Lord wants. Remember when, 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 <clears throat> when, uh, 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 when the Lord, when, uh, uh, I can't believe I forgot the guy's name. But the guy who was, uh, I should say the guy, the beautiful brother who was praying before the Lord. And when the Lord says, you know, take him into your home, take Paul into your home. And uh, um, it is... Um, I can't believe I can't find it now. Ananias, Ananias, the the good Ananias. There's the bad Ananias, which is who's married to Sapphira, but the good Ananias in Acts chapter nine. And the Lord told him, like he's my messenger. In in in, in Acts chapter nine, verse fifteen, the Lord says to Ananias, speaking about Paul, he says, he is. A chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him 
how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. You see, the Lord says to Ananias what he's going to do with Paul before he says it to Paul. He's a vessel of the Lord. And Paul's not saying, look, it's my way or the highway. It's the Lord's. These are the Lord's instructions. These are the blue. I mean, take Moses. Remember our study in, in Exodus when Moses is on the mountain in the cloud receiving the blueprints from the Lord. Well, Moses comes out of the cloud, sees Joshua. The two go down the mountain. They don't see the elders. They continue down the mountain. They see the camp of Israel and they see the sin in the camp. They see the golden calf. They see everything that is happening in the camp of Israel. Now, they apply the blueprints given to Moses by the Lord. They apply the blueprints. You see? It's not Moses who, you know, says all of a sudden he just says, you know, it's my way or the highway, you know. Remember Moses, when the Lord says to Moses, he says, you know, Moses, stand over here. I'm going to wipe everybody out and I'm going to start fresh with you. And Moses, in humility, says, no, Lord. Don't do the intercession for Israel. One of the attributes of Moses, humility. Very humble. You see, a lot of times pastors, they correct and they chasten and they discipline, but they do so in pride. That cannot be done. It must be in humility. Because there's a head pastor. His name is Jesus Christ. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. You see, and if you're a pastor, teacher, the full package, you will have opposition. And there is chastening with instruction. And once those efforts are done, ball's in their court. It's between them and God. You have a responsibility. I mean, if you're a pastor and you're called by the Lord, you have a responsibility to keep his house clean. Biblical responsibility to keep his house clean. What does that mean? Clean. In accordance to the blueprints as set forth in Scripture. You see? In verse 25, if God, you know, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. Now we get into something a little deeper here. Uh, in some cases, a lot deeper here. If God perhaps will grant them repentance. Now, this word in the Greek is defined and described as a process. The granting of repentance. And this happens when there's the sting of guilt through correction when it leads to repentance. You see? Now, this is, can only be done by a qualified pastor. 
can only be done by a qualified pastor. Otherwise, we get into hypocrisy. That's not good. Qualified pastor, no hypocrisy, no no manipulation, no prideful arrogance. We're talking the full package pastor. Remember, this is a letter Paul is writing to, Pastor Paul is writing to Pastor Timothy. And he says that in verse 25, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Remember, gentle must be gentle. You say, well, Paul's not so gentle. Well, okay. The sex isn't so holy. Paul's not so gentle. Sex isn't so holy. I mean, sex is holy in marriage only. But sex with the prostitutes, the strippers, the pornography, that's not holy. Paul's not gentle, neither is sex. Paul's not gentle, neither is crack. Paul's not gentle, neither is gambling. Paul's not gentle, neither is Buddha. You see, Paul's not gentle, neither is the Ouija boards. You see, there's a formula of correction. I mean, beautiful Chloe could say, you know, Paul's the most gentle creature on the planet. But that's Chloe. You see, Onesiphorus, Paul's the most gentle creature on the planet. He loves me. He loves my son. He loves my daughter. To us, he's gentle. You see, tell me where he's wrong. You see? But the sex, the alcohol, the extortion, the works of the flesh, not so gentle. You see? The wolf, Paul kills wolves. You see, metaphysically speaking. The wolf doesn't think Paul is gentle. Because the wolf is about ready to die from Paul. Metaphysically speaking. But we see in verse 25, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance. Now, this is a big deal. Because this is defined as a process. It's when there's a sting. When you're on the receiving end of correction, there's a sting to it. There is a sting to it, which can lead in various directions. There's the sting of correction where a person can say, you know what? I don't like that. I want to go to church and feel good about myself. But, you know, if they're in sin, they're not going to feel good about themselves. The only way, as a Christian, the only way you will feel good about yourself is when you're abiding in Christ and you're obedient unto the Lord. That's the only way. That's the only way. That's you. I mean, when when you have full. I mean, say you and me, we go back in time, and Timothy's our pastor, and we love the Lord, we fear the Lord, we're Bereans with a noble heart, we search the scriptures, we have a profound love of truth, we have love feast in Timothy's church, we have love feast, the gifts of the Spirit. We're gonna feel like. On cloud nine, we're not going to feel good. We're going to feel beautiful. We're going to feel on cloud nine. You see? That's, that's the Lord. The Lord knows those who are his. That's the work of the Lord. But then all of a sudden, leaven comes into the church. It's going to be noticeable. And it's going to be dealt with. Not I mean dealt with like, okay, let's stone him. I mean dealt with in terms of, you know, the, the elders, the pastors, elders are going to speak with that source of the leaven. And 
hopefully, prayerfully, Lord willing, that person will repent and be cleansed. You see, not the soap, not the shampoo, not the water, but hopefully, prayerfully, that person will take a shower because they're stinky. They're not a sweet aroma. They're a nasty aroma. And I speak spiritually. When I say speak of showers, it's spiritually. Being taught and gently, gently, gently having this explained to by the overseers, pastor, elder. Now, if you're elder, I would, I say, preferably the elder so that the pastor can be on his face before the Lord. Preferably the elder. If you're an elder, help the pastor. You see? Help the pastor so that your pastor can be in the word and on his face before the Lord and you carry out these duties gently in humility. It's not a pride that's like, oh, it's my way or the highway. No, it's the Lord's way. And we see if God will grant them repentance. And there's that sting of correction. And when a person has that sting of correction, a lot of times, you know, understandably, people receive that as not a good thing. They think, oh, I don't like that sting of correction. But it's actually quite beautiful. Because what is the aftermath of that? What is produced in that? It's called repentance. But when there's deviation from the truth, when there's deviation from the truth, I mean, we look at the heart. I mean, when there's the full package pastor where, you know, there's no deviation from truth. There's, you know, there's sound doctrine. We have the, the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, wisdom. We're talking full package. But without the full package, it becomes manipulation of man, masquerading as godliness. But we're talking full package. Remember, this is Paul to Timothy. We're talking Pastor Timothy who's being reminded by Paul, who's in prison, about to be beheaded, telling Timothy that in humility, correct those who are in opposition. If God, perhaps, will grant them repentance. Now, Timothy's full package. But we look at the heart of the subject. Now, do you remember in our prior studies how we would make mention of hearts as jello, balsa, maple, oak, pine, and stone? Now, we want all hearts to be jello. All hearts in a fellowship, we want to be jello. I mean, all hearts in the world, we want to be jello, but that requires fishermen. That takes time. But we want all hearts among the saints to be jello, soft as soft can be. But it's not always the case. In fact, that's going to become a rarity, even more so of a rarity. Jello hearts. Timothy doesn't know the heart like the Lord knows the hearts. 
in a church. Timothy can see the fruit and have an idea of what the heart is because it's made evident, it is manifest. But the Lord, he knows it like boom. He knows it more than the person who has the heart. Now, a heart moves to jello. A heart can be oak and pine and it can move to jello with repentance. A nice soft heart before the Lord. But if there's no obedience to Jesus Christ and His Word and yielding to the Spirit, a heart can become balsa. And if the heart continues in those ways of the flesh, a heart can go maple. And if the heart continues even still, a heart can go oak. And then a heart can go pine, which is very hard wood. But the next level is stone. And that's what the Lord does. A heart that turns from pine to stone. That's what the Lord does when the Lord hardens a heart. See, you and me, we can harden our heart or we can soften our heart. Hard heart is disobedience. We go from jello to balsa to maple to oak to pine. And if we do that continually, maybe jello when we first believe, but then, okay, yeah, I didn't altar call. I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But you know what? I'm going to do my crack. Do my sacks, the Ouija boards, the casino. Now we go from balsa and still no repentance. Now maple and still no repentance. Now oak, still no repentance. Now pine, still no repentance. And we continue in the wickedness. All of a sudden, the Lord hardens the heart. Stone, not good. But the opposite is also true. We become Christians. We become born-again believers. We have nice, beautiful jello hearts. We disobey the Lord. Balsa. We continue in wickedness. Disobey the Lord. Maple. We continue in disobedience. Oak. We continue in disobedience. Pine. All of a sudden, a friend comes to us. Says to us things about the Lord. Oh, we used to be Christians. Or, you know, we're, we're Christians and, you know, but, you know, we're not, you know, we, we don't do the hardcore stuff. And this person is speaking to us. And we're like, wow, we've, we've never heard it like that before. We've never heard it like that before. Where do you go to church? We go to Timothy's church. Timothy, everybody hates Timothy. Hymenaeus, Philetus, they talk, they, they talk a lot of mess about Timothy. They got the mega church. I, I like the mega church. They got good music. I heard Timothy, they don't have, they don't have good music. But tell me more about Timothy. What does he say? And then this person says to us, ah, just come to, come, come to church. 
We'll see what the Lord has and what he says to us through the word taught to us by Timothy. Come on. Nah, nah, nah. I'm not, I'm not down with that. Okay, here. I got a recording for you. Listen to this. Remember, you and me, we got pine hearts. The next step is stone. And so the guy leaves. Here you and me are. We got our pine hearts. We listen to what Timothy has to say. And remember, we did an altar call maybe years ago. And our heart used to be jello, but then it moved up to pine. Through disobedience, through our own disobedience. Remember Old Testament, New Testament, self-inflicted. And we listen to Timothy. Something different about this guy. Himenaeus, Philetus, they talk a lot of mess about him. But he's got a point. I listen to Timothy, man, he's got a point. I listen to Timothy, like, I'm like, wow, he, he's, he, he's really, he's really speaking things here. What do you think? And you're like, oh my goodness, this, I never heard it like this before. You and me, we got pine hearts. Hard. Now, remember, only the Lord knows the heart. And when the pastor is the full package, Understand that full package pastors like Paul, like Timothy, it's the Lord who put this guy here. It's the Lord who put Paul there. It's the Lord who put Timothy there for the saints, for the believers, for their benefit, so that these workers can work in his field. Submission to this sort of shepherd, to this sort of worker, it is safe. And in correction, there is the sting of guilt. I mean, you and me, we got pine hearts. We got pine hearts for a reason. Be it sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. But we got pine hearts for a reason. And then all of a sudden, this vessel of the Lord and the spirit is with him. The spirit of the Lord is with him. And we hear things like we've never heard before. We listen to studies like we've never heard before. And then he says, repent. And you and me with our pine hearts, we look at each other I've never heard it like this before. I did the altar call five years ago. I thought I was good to go. I thought I was in good standing because the pastor said once saved, always saved. I thought I was good. I thought I was fine. I took a shower then. I didn't realize that I'm stinky now. I didn't realize that my aroma wasn't sweet before the Lord. I thought I was okay. And I listened to this guy and I realized I'm not okay. What do you think? And you look at me like, I'm not okay either. You see? 
We got our pine hearts. The next step is stone, what the Lord does. But the Lord sent his vessel. And we hear. And we do what he says. We repent. And recommit our lives to Christ. So five years ago, our hearts were jello. And in the course of time, through disobedience, we became balsa, maple, oak. And now we're pine through the works of our flesh, through our own disobedience. Because, you know, we had, you know, Pastor Jimenez that we went, you know, we used to go every week. We used to go to Pastor Jimenez every week. But then we started going just on, you know, Easter and Christmas. And Pastor Jimenez, you know, he t- told us a lot of jokes. We felt good about ourselves. And we were under the, the tutelage of Pastor Jimenez. And he was teaching things that were unbiblical, but we didn't know. We submitted ourselves to Jimenez for a while. But then, you know, we just we just go to church on Easter and, and Christmas. But this guy, Timothy... There's something different about that. I know that church is small. And I know with him and Ace, they got the big, the full band. They got, you know, the worship team. They got like, you know, special effects. They got like laser lights and they got all these things. And you go to Timothy. (laughs) No, you don't got that with Timothy. But now... Our hearts are jello. Now our hearts are jello. You know what happened supernaturally? God granted us repentance. That's what verse 25 said. That's what verse 25 says. God granted us repentance. And remember, it's a process. It's through correction from Timothy. And Timothy, who's full package, not, you know, package three, not package two, not package one, full package with the, you know, the extra packages of, you know, warrior, of uh, athlete and farmer with the extra package of, uh, you know, gentle, humility, able to teach and patient. And we've heard a message of correction. And yeah, it's it stung. It it stung, you know. Like you know, we're, we're pine. Our hearts are pine for a reason, and it stung. You know, it, it it was like you know, whoa, that's heavy. But what happened is that God granted us repentance. We were jello five years ago, and we were babies. We were, we were jello with Jimenez because we were babies. We didn't know that Jimenez was crazy. But under Jimenez, we became balsa. Under Jimenez, we became maple. Then we left thinking that we were good and, you know, doing Christmas and Easter and fighting, you know, once saved, always saved, as Jimenez said. And then we go from oak to pine. Under Timothy, we learned that Jimenez is crazy town. He says, come out of her, my people. But we didn't know that. We were babies. 
And what happened is the Lord granted us repentance. In this example, the Lord granted us repentance. In verse 25 says, if perhaps God, if, if, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know, which is three parts to recognize, to acknowledge, and to discern so that they may know the truth, so that they may recognize the truth, so that they may acknowledge the truth, so that they may discern the truth. Verse 25, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, it's a result of repentance through correction. But the correction comes from a vessel of the Lord. Full package. Full package? We're talking package four. We're talking warrior. We're talking athlete. We're talking farmer. We're talking gentle. We're talking able to teach. We're talking patient. We're talking humble. And in this example, our hearts were pine. And we never heard it like this before because we were under him and they We thought we were okay. Unbeknownst to us, our hearts were pine. And we repented. We committed our life to Christ. And now we're jello again. And it was God who granted us repentance so that they, may, so that we, in this example, so that we may know the truth. They may recognize, acknowledge, and discern the truth. Now, only God knows the heart. Because there's something else that happens when hearts are hard. There's something else that happens when hearts are hard. This doesn't apply to jello. It only applies to balsa, maple, oak, and pine, and definitely stone. Truth is concealed. The hardening of the heart. Truth is concealed. You see? The concealing of the truth will increase as we get deeper in the events of the last days. The hardening of hearts is a precursory sign of judgment. Now, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Really quick. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse Nine. This is what the Bible says. One of the signs of the last days. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one. This is speaking of the Antichrist. Is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. So look at the camp here. This is a group of people who are perishing among those who perish. But there's a reason for it. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, verse 11, 
God will send them strong delusion. You see? God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, we go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And now let's look at verse 25. In light of everything we just looked at. Paul telling Timothy to, yes, he's going to correct, but in humility, correct. But he says in verse 25, correct those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. Now that's loaded. That's a loaded sentence. That's a loaded statement. That's a loaded verse. Because remember, repentance is that process that happens with that sting of guilt. But when, when hearts are jello, truth is not concealed. Truth is just open. The Lord is an open book. Like your heart's jello, okay. You know what? What do you want to know? You like you? You want to know this? Here you go. It's open. I mean, it's it's one of the gifts of the Spirit. The the, the, the Spirit of the Lord is a teacher, teaches us and shows us and instructs us. But if our heart is balsa. Truth becomes more concealed. And a heart goes from jello to balsa through disobedience to the word of God. And with no repentance. Now, if your heart is balsa, you're going to feel stings, but it's not going to be as prevalent. If your heart is maple, you're going to feel stings with truth. But if you're under Hymenaeus, if you submit yourself to Hymenaeus and Philetus, cancers, you will not feel the sting. You're going to feel good about it. You're going to do your sex and your drugs and your casinos and your gambling and your alcohol, your extortion. And you're going to feel like a million bucks. You're going to feel just fine and dandy. But who you submit to is cancer. You submit to death. You see? When you're on the path of death, death is going to make you feel good. You see? And then a heart gets harder and harder. Goes from balsa to maple to oak to pine. And the jump from pine to stone, that's what the Lord does. And it's done in judgment. Now, strong delusion, which is a sign of the last days. It's judgment. It's judgment from God. When a person, when a person reaches this point, it's not that they won't accept the truth. It's that they cannot accept the truth. It's judgment. And that's when a heart goes from pine to stone. This is a process that is increasing today. You see? But where there is repentance, that's what we see at the end of verse 25, so that they may know the truth, so that they may recognize, acknowledge, and discern the truth. See, I gave the example of you and me. We got our pine hearts. We used to be jello, but we got pine. But we got pine for a reason. 
Remember, the Lord is reactionary. We got pine for a reason. We used to be jello where truth, the Bible, it was an open book. The Lord was open. But then through disobedience, our heart became harder. Not pine. Our heart became balsa. You see? But we didn't know. We didn't know anything about showers. We didn't know anything about, you know, that we're not the soap, we're not the shampoo, we're not the water. We didn't know anything about that. Why? Because look at the teachers. Hymenaeus, Philetus. See? Defunct. No power. Cancer. Wolf. Hireling. No formula. No package. No power. We didn't know. Our hearts were balsa. And we continued in disobedience. Our hearts became maple. We continued in disobedience. Our, heart be- our hearts became oak. We continued in disobedience. Our hearts became pine. Finally, by the mercy of the Lord, we listened to Timothy. You see? And when Timothy spoke, we recognized the truth. And when Timothy spoke, we not only recognized the truth, we acknowledged the truth and realized, oh my goodness, we're filthy. We need to jump in the shower. We didn't discern truth before with Hymenaeus and Philetus, but now we do. And now we repent. We get right with the Lord. We're clean with the Lord. We're, we're pure by the Lord. And now we further discern truth. And I don't care about Philetus. I don't care about Hymenaeus. They got the megachurch. They got the band. They got the worship team. They got all this stuff. That's nice. I'm going to Timothy. I'm going to submit myself to Timothy. I look at you and I say, what do you say? Are we going to go to Timothy's church? You say, you know, there's no other way. We're going to submit ourselves to Timothy. Because look, our hearts are nice and jello. Nice and soft before the Lord. Now, the truth of God's holy word, it's not concealed. It's not concealed to us. You see? And that, look at what's effectuated. In this example, I know we've been in one verse for a long time, but I meant, look at what becomes effectuated in this example. When hearts are jello. Now, hearts become hard for a reason, but hearts become soft for a reason. And look at the things that are effectuated for Timothy in his ministry as worker in the field of God. When we reflect back on what Paul says, God's co-worker of the workers, God's co-worker together with him and the Spirit. Now you have a convergence of those things that through vessel Timothy has hit our hearts, which were formerly pine, which got there for a reason. And now in response, God granted us repentance because the Lord knows our hearts. The Lord knows that our hearts were pine because we were under the cancer. We submitted ourselves to the cancer. We submitted ourselves to death, to Hymenaeus and Philetus. The Lord knows. And the Lord knows like, like our hearts are pine and we really feel like dirt. 
we really feel like dirt because we do the sex, we do the drugs, we do the alcohol, we do the extortion, we do all kinds of works in the flesh. And under the defunct, we thought we were okay. But we realize we're not okay. And now the Lord grants us repentance. And we recognize, acknowledge, and discern the truth. And as jello hearts, our hearts are no longer pine. We didn't move down from pine to oak to maple to balsa to jello. We went from pine to straight up jello. Because the Lord is reactionary. He responds to repentance. Now, a different example, similar scenario. But what if our hearts were pine? And we knew the truth. Before we didn't know the truth, we were under the defunct. We were under Jimenez and Falides. But what if our hearts were pine? And we knew what the Bible says. Remember, strong delusion is a form of judgment. And we continue in wickedness. We harden our heart, just like Pharaoh. We harden our heart, we harden our heart, we harden our heart, we harden our heart. And in the course of time, at some point, the Lord says, okay, they've hardened their hearts. Now I'm stepping in. I'm hardening their heart. Now the heart goes from pine to jello. Truth is concealed. They cannot understand the Bible. They cannot understand the word of God. It's withheld from them. They cannot discern. They cannot acknowledge. They cannot recognize. And that's what the world is going to look like as we get further into the events of the last days. The ones who do know the truth and do the jello hearts, the ones who are aligned in truth, the remnant, the Antichrist, is going to want them dead. And the world will be on board. The fallen church, the apostate church, will be on board. Let's kill the Christians. You see? That's how the Lord works. In verse 26, And that they may come to their senses, which is to be sober again, and escape the snare, which is the trap, the trick, and the strategy of, of war is how it translates, the snare of the devil. And that's the deceitfulness of sin. Because in the example, you and me, we got our pine hearts. And, oh, we go to church. Where do you go to church? Oh, it's the mega church. You know, him and Anne's, you might have heard of him. He's our pastor. We didn't know the truth. I mean, we, we believed in Jesus Christ and we repented in Jesus Christ, repented, repented of our sin and believed in Jesus Christ and aligned ourselves to Jesus Christ when we were babies. And we were babies. We believed in Jesus, but then there was no maturity. We stayed babies. And staying babies, we continued in our sins. Like, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. Come on, let's go do crack. Oh, we believe in Jesus Christ. We do the sacks. We do the Buddha. We do the Ouija boards. We do all kinds of wickedness thinking that we're okay when we're not okay. Our hearts are moving slowly but surely to balsa, to maple, to oak, and finally we're pine. And through a vessel of the Lord, 
God granted us repentance. And now we know the truth because we've we've repented. We came to our senses again. We became sober again. And we've escaped the snare of the devil. We escaped the trap, the trick, and the strategy of war of the devil. And that's the deceitfulness of sin. What we see in verse 26. We thought we were okay under Himenaeus. But we weren't. You see? People submit themselves to a guy who says, take the mark of the beast, he'll still be saved. They think they're okay. But they're not okay. People submit themselves to the grave soakers. They think they're okay. But they're not okay. And you tell them, hey, you're not okay. It is not safe to submit to that guy. Oh, you're so stupid. You're so stupid. And hearts go from maple to oak. You tell them, he says, take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. That is a direct contradiction from the Bible. Direct contradiction. I mean, that's easy. The Bible says, don't take the mark of the beast. And he says, take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. That's easy. Oh, the you're so judgmental, you know, that, 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 that's just, uh, you know, let's just put that aside. That's non-essential. Are you kidding me? We're not talking about genealogies. We're not talking about a day of the week. We're talking like lake of fire. Now you see hearts of pine. And you're pleading. Listen. This isn't safe for you. I love you. I love you. I love you. This isn't safe for you. Oh, you're such a legalist. Look, I got my study Bible. Look, I went over here. Look, I got my honorary degree. And look, I did this. I went to seminary. Look, I'm not crazy. You're crazy. Look, I studied the Bible. I got my study Bible. So what if he says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. That's non-essential. And in the course of time, as surely as the Lord lives, what you will see is the entering of strong delusion inside the church. And it's God's judgment. Before, they wouldn't accept the truth. A time is coming, and in some cases is here already where they cannot accept the truth. But there's a reason. It's because they did not love the truth. Remember 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? The, in, in, in verse 10, that with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, remember what, what Paul says of the elect. What Paul says of the elect is, is <clears throat> in, in verse uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain salvation. Now, 
you figure, well, if I'm of the elect, if I'm a Christian, then I'm of the elect. And you know, one saved, always saved. But the biblical formula is not one saved to stay saved. Or one saved, always saved. It is one saved, stay saved. You see? Then you get into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And you see in verse 11 that because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And remember, with not loving truth, the Lord is reactionary. I mean, the Lord is reactionary, you know, always. Old Testament, New Testament. The Lord is reactionary. He's responsive. He responds to obedience. He responds to disobedience. He responds to repentance. But when there's no love of truth, for this reason, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11, for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. That's when God steps in and says, okay, you want to take your heart from jello to balsa to maple to oak to pine? Okay. Now I'm turning it into stone. It's judgment. You see? It's judgment. As verse 12 says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that they all may be condemned with that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness you see had pleasure in unrighteousness oh you're such a legalist so what if this guy says take the mark of the beast you'll still be saved He's got his study Bible and I read it and I live my life by it. And come on, let's go get drunk. Let's have a nice steak and let's drink some Chablis. You see? Oh, yeah, my kids, they're sexually active. They do their drugs. Oh, but once saved, always saved. You see? They did the catechisms. Once saved, always saved. They're okay. They're in good standing. Don't be so judgmental. Oh, you're such a legalist. Understand that at some point, as hearts get harder, when it turns to stone, by the Lord, a form of judgment, at that point, they cannot receive the truth. They will believe the lie. Not if that happens, when that happens, these people will want you dead. Thus fulfilling what the word of God says, that in a man's home will be enemies. Uh, huh, uh, uh, I'll read it. Now I can't find it. Luke chapter 12, verse 51. The words of Jesus. Luke 12, verse 51. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all. 
but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided. Look at, notice what's happening. In one roof, that's what's happening. Five will be divided. Three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son. Son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. You see? It's all a result of not loving truth. Remember, what we see in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25 if God will, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, you see, God knows the heart. He knows why a heart is pine. In that example earlier, when you and me, our hearts were pine, the Lord knows we didn't know because we were under the stupid guy, Himenaeus, the cancer. But now we're under Timothy where it is safe. And our hearts are jello again. You see? But what's happening now? Among def- amongst defunct leadership. I don't care the size of the church. I don't care how many people go there. When the formula is wrong, in the pastor... When the formula is wrong, remember, sound doctrine, gifts of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, full package, everything. When that formula is wrong, do not submit. But today you have people who submit themselves to the defunct. Their hearts are getting harder. Balsa, maple, oak, pine. And truth, through it all, truth is being concealed. They cannot discern the truth. And the final step is when hearts go from pine to stone. And that's God's judgment. It's happening already. And it's going to get worse. And it fulfills what the Lord says. That a man's enemies will be in family. Even under the same roof. See? But there's a better family. The family of faith. Heirs of Abraham, in accordance to the promises of God, effectuated by men and women of faith, since the very beginning. But this door of grace, this door of mercy, it's not going to be open forever. It will close. It's not as open as it was 2,000 years ago. It will close. You hear us say, you know, jump ship. There's coming a time where you won't be able to jump ship. Let today be the day of salvation. Hit pause and listen to the message how to commit your life to Christ. 
and you do exactly that. Jump ship and welcome aboard. You see, we see in verse 26 in closing, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. You see, look, at in that previous example, you and me with our pine hearts and we repented and now we have jello hearts again. But when our hearts were pine, it was a trap. It was a trick in the strategy of this war. It was a trick of Satan. You see? Yeah, we believed. We became believers. And our hearts were jello. But, remember, Satan has his servants who present themselves as ministers of righteousness. You see? And that's who we were submitting ourselves to, Himenaeus. It was a trap. It was a trick. We were deceived. But it's a mega church. Look, you got all the people, got the big bands, got the smoke, got the laser lights, got, you know, the rock star, rock star singers. They get all their awards. It's like a concert. Nice little 20 minute sermon, nice little 30 minute sermon. Not too long. But the whole time it was a trap. And finally, you know, we, our hearts went from pine. God granted us repentance, the process, through that sting of guilt. And now we know the truth. Under Timothy, leadership matters. Remember Old Testament? Joshua and the elders, things are beautiful. They die, not so good. Same thing. That's Old Testament. Same thing, New Testament. Leadership matters. So you and me, formerly pine hearts. Now we're jello hearts. Now we submit ourselves to Timothy, and it's beautiful. No laser. We don't got the laser light show, you know. People, oh, look, their worship. Look, it's like this. Oh, look, there's just like, you know, not a lot of people there. Oh, look, they're so stupid. That's nice. We'll be like, Onesiphorus. Show me where it's wrong. Show me in the Bible. Using the Bible, show me where it's wrong. They can't. They can show you where it's wrong according to the world, according to the flesh, according to leaven, according to the wolf, according to the hireling, but not according to the word of God. And the word became flesh. Not according to Jesus Christ, who has faithful workers in his field. You see? And we see verse 26 that, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him. Don't forget that Satan is a fisherman too. To do his will. You see? To do the will of Satan? Very serious business. I mean, in that example, you and me were pine hearts. The sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the whole nine yards. We didn't know it. 
We thought we were okay. We thought we were Christians. We called ourselves Christians. The whole time we were under the snare of the devil. We thought we were free in Christ, but we were taken captive by him. Satan. To do the will of Satan. So now, see, we just got back from an Easter message under Himenaeus. We're pine hearts. We just got back from an Easter message, right? You know what? We feel good about ourselves. You know, let's forget the fact that we do the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, but we feel good about it. We feel nice and good. We did our Easter message. And then we go out and people find out that we're Christians. You see, people find out that we're Christians. Now, they don't know the type of Christian. They don't know that we do the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the whole nine yards, but they find out that we're Christians. We're like, oh, yeah, go to Jimenez's church. You'll, I feel good, you know. Look, we can do the sex, we can do the drugs, we can do the alcohol, and you'll feel good about yourself. You know, nice little pep talk. You see, affirmations. Satan doesn't mind. Babies. See? And then all of a sudden, we're under Hymenaeus, pine hearts. And then we hear about Timothy. And Hymenaeus has a church announcement. He says, hey, everybody. There's this guy named Timothy. He's a mean-spirited guy. He's supposed to be gentle. He's supposed to be for unity. But he's not for unity. He speaks of a remnant, but he's so stupid. Look, look at their worship. Look at their little tiny, they're nothing. Their little pipsqueaks, they're nothing. And then you and me, pine hearts under him and us, we're on board. You're right, Timothy is dumb. We're against Timothy. We go picket outside their church and we're picketing out. Oh, no, this isn't Christianity. Look, God is love. You know, God is love and love is love. And, you know, if this guy wants to marry this guy and this lady wants to love on this lady, then look, God is love. You know, love is love and God is love. So therefore, this is okay. Now look what's happening. Now we're doing the will of Satan. You see how crafty he is? That's, it's, this is war. War is not, you know, it's not a video game. You get shot in a video game, you know, you, you put the controller down and you go have a sandwich. On the battlefield, you get shot, you know, say goodnight. How much worse in spiritual warfare? You see? Praise the Lord for the Timothys. Praise the Lord for the Pauls. Praise the Lord for the Chloes, for the Priscillas, for the Achillas. But they're very few. Full package, very few. The harvest is plentiful. Plentiful, plentiful, plentiful. Vast, vast, vast field. It's got a lot of weeds, but it's vast. Where the wheat and the tares grow together until the harvest. And the harvest is plentiful.
It's the workers that are few. But even still, there is a remnant to the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.